Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 29th of January, 2015, Thursday evening, and it's about 10 minutes, about 11 minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time, that is. Participate in the show by calling 800-596-8191 or going to the chat room at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. If you don't have to participate in the show, you can just go into the chat room. You'll see the link. But you can ask questions and you can make comments. It's easy to get in, and it is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, like that. All right, well, tonight uh, we have a little kind of a special. Oh, uh, encore. Yes, an encore performance. Because tonight we're going to have on a co-host from Monday night, second hour. Because he had sent me some stuff about refineries that I found pretty interesting. And, you know, this is a big deal, folks, because this, uh, you know, the headlines are, uh, well, you know, um, the Republicans are saying it doesn't matter if Obama backs the XL pipeline, we're going to have it. Well, why? Why? We don't have the capacity to refine any more oil to gasoline for cheap. Well, why would they want the XL pipeline? Oh, I know, so they can take our natural resources, our raw materials, and just ship them off to other countries in tankers. You know, like any good colony does. Well, colonies ship off their raw material. Industrialized nations ship off goods. Import raw materials from colonies and make them into finished goods and then export them. But you see, we are going in the opposite direction of an industrialized nation, folks. We are being deindustrialized. Oh, it's just a service economy, except for the fact there is no such thing. That's like saying, well, there's a service army, a support personnel army. Well, you know what? Without killers on the ground, there's no need for any support personnel. You don't need mechanics and cooks and truck drivers and clerks. and You don't need any of these people if you don't have any killers in an army. Everybody else in the army is there to support the killers. That's what armies are about. Well, an economy is kind of the same thing. Service industry is there to service industry. Now, if you don't have any industry and all you've got is service, you don't have an economy. 
any more than an army's got an army if all you've got is clerks and jerks. Now we we gave up the whole killing thing, but we're still going to call ourselves an army. Well, fine then. You can still call yourself an economy, I guess, but you're not really an economy. So this information about refineries is interesting because, well, we have a little problem there. So I'll bring Dean on. Welcome, Dean. Well, thank you, Frank. And, you know, tonight I get to answer a lot of the answers that you've been questioning. Good. And and so right now you know that gas is flooding the world. And, uh, well, oil is flooding. Oil and gas. No, okay, so where is the gas? gasoline products, where are they being refined? Where are they coming from? Well, now, that's interesting. Louisiana is a number one state for refining. In fact, because of what Saudi Arabia did, King Salman, in lowering the price of oil, he has destroyed the foreign investment in a liquid natural gas refinery, the largest in the America. And it was also going to produce diesel from gasoline or oil, I should say. And that was going to be shipped out to Germany. So, you know, you were right about the colonies because it turns out that the only time the United States builds refineries is when there is an oil crisis. But lo and behold, these oil refineries in America are geared to ship the refined product out. Yeah, they're all on the ports. They got refineries in New Jersey, and uh, there's a big port. They've got them in Louisiana. There's a big port. Corpus Christi, another port. These are all ports. Now, you know, the American people ought to have a problem with this. You know, Frank, that's a great question. That why is there no distribution of these petroleum refined products to the American people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that would go right along with the question: How come we're not paying seventy-five cents a gallon of gas? The answer is General Electric. Ah, the people that bring us uh, good nuclear disasters. Yes. Now, a lot of people uh, have heard that Comcast is going to take over the entire cable network for for the United States. Many people don't realize that Comcast is owned actually behind the scenes and run by General Electric. Well, you know, and that that could have something to do with uh, FCC. I was just reading today. They have now, because, you know, the United States is internet. We all use the internet. We all like it. We all think we have broadband and everything's great. But 
Actually, our internet is 25th in the world. Okay, we have slower speeds and less access than 24 other countries. All right, that's not very good. And I and I hear that what is it? Google or Facebook is going to open up a, a hub down in what South Carolina? That's going to be the fastest in the world. I don't know. It's about time. But I mean, the thing is, the FCC just ruled three to two today that okay. Guess what? We're redefining broadband. Now, broadband up to this point has been 4 megabits and above, right? Oh, that's a 4G phone. Okay, okay. Now, today they said, no, now broadband, because of the rest of the world, we are saying broadband has to be, to be calling it broadband, it has to be at least 25 megabits. And the uh, cable providers are uh, in a bit of an uproar. They're not happy. Well, this is not what they paid for. What do did they I, want? Did I say that out loud? God, that would indicate that they buy off bureaucrats and elected officials. See, what, what do they want? Well, you see what this what is. What speed? Well, they want business. They want the status quo. Which is four megabits, and the FCC just boosted it to twenty-five. I mean, that's wow. not even a little bit. That's like, it's like, no, you know what, cavemen, you're way behind the curve here. Catch up and do it quick, or you can no longer sell this product as broadband. That's what it amounts to. See, it's a marketing disaster for the U.S. Internet providers, because they've been telling everybody you're getting broadband if you get four megabits or above, right? Well, right. the rest of the world, you know, would be calling in and complaining if they only got four megabits and saying, what happened? Did, you, did I go back to dial-up or what? What's matter here? Uh, okay. You know, so they're, they're, ha- they're going to have a marketing nightmare. They're not going to be able to call anything below 25 uh, megabits broadband anymore. So let me just go down why this this is uh, 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 GE is against this. Okay. GE is run from a guy is run by a guy from Canada on the board of directors by the name of Beetle. They have Beetlejuice, right? Uh, pretty much, man. <laughs> and, and so their board of directors are made up from guys from Pennsylvania. Harvard, Germany, this margin Deckers, deadly, deadly. And then there's, uh, forget him, he's just a, a poster child. And then there's Susan Hockfield from uh, MIT. Uh, and then there is, um, oh, this woman is, uh, uh, wait a minute, I got to see where this is. Oh, PNC, James War. PNC is one of the most well, the, the the bank too large to fail. Right. Okay. Then there is uh, Mulva. You know Mulva. He's with Conoco. He's uh head of the Houston, Texas gang. And then there is uh, James Tish. Oh, I've heard of him. Oh man, he is Lowe's Corporation. Deadly man. He is Rockefeller's. Uh, alter ego, and uh, of course, then there is Douglas Warner, 
who is uh, uh, former chairman of Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan. So you see that the board of directors from GE is not only controlling Comcast, but they are coordinating the, the world war on petroleum. And so I would say to um, Prince Mohammed bin Salman al-Saud, who is the uh, Minister of Defense, well, actually, he's a lawyer. But he's, uh, I think he's with the Ministry of Defense right now. Uh, yes, he is. And he is in charge in keeping Saudi Arabia secure. And right now, there's fighting all around it. So it's important that he understands that GE is launching an all-out war to take Saudi Arabia. Because if you control that oil, you can cause another oil crisis, which will permit you to build refineries to export from the colonies, True. as you so politely put it. And it will also give them an opportunity to boost their profit margin. Yes. Now, for those people that are savvy about Japan, if I said to Takahito-san and Yoriko-san, who are of the royal family in Japan, if I told them, or, or I asked them to consider, that GE was responsible for the last two massive financial crises in Japan. And, and let me explain to you how to they mention, do. Not to mention that little Fukushima thing. Well, that's their, those are the turbines from GE. And they're designed. Exactly. Now, there are seven... Okay, so this is how they do it, Frank. A long time ago, in the 50s and 60s, GE got together with MT&T, that sounds like AT&T, right? But this is, I think it's called Nippon T&T, right? Instead of American T&T, it's Nippon T&T. You see, they set it up just like AT&T. And what they did was they developed the mainframe computers, but also the computer chips. I think they're especially, I think they're gallium arsenide wafer chips. So these are what are in the primary loops for the telephone systems all throughout Japan. So that means that GE and NTT are monitoring every commercial conversation report and banking move and investment that any Japanese firm is doing. You know, Japan is in the top uh, the top three. Right, and there's a group called um, 
they call him the Denden family. Fuji, Hitachi, Mitsubishi, NEC, Oki, and Toshiba. So there is no way that these companies can move without GE knowing. And to show you how vicious GE is, they control Sony and they threw Sony to the wolves because Sony was going to challenge them on the internet providing. They were going to not permit Comcast to come into Japan. Well, uh, now we have another possible culprit in the whole Sony hack thing. It was GE from the get-go. It was not North Korea. Well, you know what? It's pretty much it's pretty much since then been shown that it it could have been a lot of people, a lot of places, a lot of corporations or governments other than North Korea. They are like the least likely to do to do this, to be now, able to do this. Put it that way. Now, you have to understand, and we'll go to the break, right? Right. I'm going to read you the Board of Directors of State Street Bank, which is the chief bank of the Boston Fed. We have constantly asked, why is Boston the head of power? I'll tell you why. Because the Board of Directors, okay, they are made up of Lehman Brothers, Morgan Stanley, Guardian Insurance. Deloitte, the accounting, Harvard Business School, Goldman Sachs, uh, North American Electric, uh, the Carlyle Group. And it's not just the Carlyle Group. It's the global buyout of the Carlyle Group. And Allstate. And Lehman Brothers of Germany. Folks, State Street Bank is the most deadliest firm because they are tied into MIT as well. And they are using those supercomputer gallium arsenide chips not only to monitor all of America's businesses through AT&T and the Baby Bells, because we also have the primary loops with the superconductor chips that your uh, mobile Phones have to go through. See, they weren't kidding when they said this is the information age. Now, I'll just say to everybody, China issued a, uh, a mandate today. They said that every bank in China must now convert to a different operating system with the China central government's specific specs for backdoors, and operation secret codes or whatever they call them. Yeah, so they're going to make sure that they're watching also. Yes, but they'll be also be able to shut down the back doors. And it all comes through these chips. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Tell us more about that after the break. We'll be back in just a little bit. We'll play Stump the Room. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> I jumped up this morning with the sun down shining in. Found my broken mind in a brown paper bag of pen. 
on a cloud, I fell eight miles high. I sold my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Pushed my soul in a deep, dark hole. I followed it in. When I met myself falling out, and I was crawling in. Got up so tight, I couldn't unwind. So, so much, it broke my mind. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. My body painted April Fool in a big black letters on a dead inside. And my foot in the gas when I left on the road, I threw out my mind. Eight miles out of Memphis and I got to go back. Eight miles later, now I'm somewhere. I just got in to see what condition my condition was in.
or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Di 
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 29th of January, 2015. It is Thursday, and it's about 839 out here on the Pacific Time Coast, if that's true where you're at, given the time zone differential and all that good stuff. Then we're live, and if we are live, that means you can participate in the show, 800-596-8191, or you can participate through the chat room at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Follow the chat link, do what the instructions say, and uh, you'll be in there. It's real easy. Anyway, it is Thursday, and uh, oh, wait, before we go on... uh, did play Stump the Room, and the room did get the first song, just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in, and that was Jerry Lee Lewis. Pretty easy because Jerry Lee Lewis is, well, kind of famous, huh? I mean, they even made a movie about him, and it was a pretty good movie, too. But the room did not get the second one, and that is a version of That's All Right, actually, uh, the original by Arthur Crudup. Big boy, Crudup. There you go, another one of them songs that we're familiar with that, of course, came from some old blues men, and, uh, of course, they never really got their paydays. Uh, But, hey, all the hair bands in the 70s, you know, they took their music and made bundles with it. But, hey, anyway, nothing new under the sun. It's uh, Thursday, and we're having a kind of an encore Monday because Dean... Lauren, who is a co-host on Monday evening, second hour, uh, sent me some stuff about refineries and is going through some of that and more. So welcome back, Dean. Well, thank you, Frank. And it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned that it's, uh, what is it, 840 on the West Coast there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's 1140 lunchtime in China right now. And it turns out that Wang Qishang, who is the party discipline uh, minister, the man fighting corruption in China, is holding back Yu Zhengsheng, who is the uh, who conducts the relations for non-communist groups. He's holding him back because it turns out that this whole attack on China and its internet system by Comcast, which personally, you know, the reason why Wang Qishan is holding back you, Zheng Sheng, is because you, Zheng Sheng, is trying to let Xi Jinping out of the room that he's locked him in because he is about to go after State Street Bank. Now, folks, all right, wait a minute. With all these Chinese names, who is going after State Street Bank exactly? The entire government of China. Okay, and who in in the Chinese government is wanting that not to happen? In other words, the traitor. Well, he was, uh, I think he's under house arrest right now. He's the former president, uh, Jiang Zemin. Oh, the former president. Yeah. House arrest. Well, you see, they know how to put their their ex-leaders in uh, to retirement. 
got to hand it to those Chinese. See, they've been doing government for uh, thousands of years. See, they know what to do with ex-leaders. House arrest. Good idea. We should take that up. Now, to understand that concept of colony, the Boston Fed controls the entire Fed. And the Boston Fed is controlled by State Street Bank. Now, you see, a lot of people would say, oh, come on, Dean, what are you talking about? Everybody knows the New York Fed controls the Fed. No, they are a colony for the Boston Fed because let me just go through the three directors that are lumped together. There's Peter Coyam, who represents Germany. There is Patrick de Saint-Agnon, who represents France. And then there is Dame Amelia C. Fawcett, who represents Britain. And then, of course, there's the guy who actually tells New York what to do, and that's Gregory L. Sum of Goldman Sachs, who sits on the board. But most important is Kenneth, Kenneth F. Burns, who is the chairman of the Technology Committee. And he's all about water quality conservation companies, which you know are being destroyed with the fracking. So he's basically setting up all America to buy water from State Street Bank's companies that are supplying clean water to the colonies. Now, now this is after they poisoned the drinking water, so now they can supply clean water. Right. They poison it with thorium. That's how they get the, the oil out of the shale. And then they take the thorium out and sell it and make lots of money. So the thorium decays in the radon, so the water becomes undrinkable with radon, which is cancer-causing. You know, it's, it's, it's what's found in the cinder blocks in, in a lot of homes where uh, nuclear waste is being dumped into um, cinder block factories to hide it. Well, and now, you know, very, you know, we call them cinder blocks, but I, I haven't seen a cinder block actually made in a long time. They're all cement blocks now. Oh, you have not been to Long Island. No, I haven't in a long time. And uh, Oh, my God, they are pumping out the cinder blocks. Really? Because I, I can't find a cinder block, because I know the difference between a cinder block and a, and a cement block. I mean, because, well, just the weight is about half as much. You know, I mean... They got them all over New York. Wow, I didn't realize. I thought they were, you know, I thought I thought, I thought they went the way of the dinosaur or something, but they're still making them back that way. Okay. They still got them all pumping out. So let's talk about... You, you wanted to know what, what how they were doing... Well, okay, so first of all, how do you take over oil? Well, if I know your assets, because you sent your asset audit sheets over the Internet to the guy next to you in an email, 
to the next office, right? You sent to the accounting office, right? The president wanted a, a readout of the assets, so, of course, the CFO sent him uh, by electronic mail his uh, asset report, right? Well, that automatically goes to GE and, state, and the State Street Bank. So now I know what you own. Now I know what you're going to do because in an email, the, the chairman says, look, we gotta, we got to make a tax move here. we got to invest this stuff. So, of course, we invest. So send word to our brokers to put the money here, here, and here. Well, of course, State Street Bank and GE see that email. Well, now they know where your money's going. They know how much business you're doing. So they report back to the Queen of England. They report back to, wouldn't believe this, the Vatican in France. And then they report back to Angela Merkel and Bath Chemicals in Germany. And so that's how they raid all the commercial espionage. Now, how do they get that email out? Well, your little phone call, whether it's a uh, cell phone, we don't have any more copper lines in, in, in New York. They took them all out, Frank. Really? Now we just have a one primary loop that goes to the upload satellite for the fiber optics. Wow. And in that, there are these little wafer semiconductor chips, which were developed by General Electric a long time ago. I think they're called VLSI chips. And they used to be ADSL in the mainframes. Remember when everybody used to have mainframe computers? Yep. Well, I guess they, they, they've advanced them, but the chips are pretty much still the same, except for they have a lot of back doors in them. And so they, these chips actually run what they call the local loop which are the primary loop that all your cell phone traffic has to go through. Now, we've talked about Newstar, correct? Yep. Newstar has all, the entire contract for the United States in, oh, what's the word? Um, shepherding. If I call California, Newstar traffics the, my call to California. So they are the they are the cyber shepherds. They're from Israel. So that old joke that Israel is uh, listening to all our phone calls is in fact a reality. So when Netanyahu comes to Congress to give Loretta Lynch her envelope, um. It's going to be very interesting because he's going to know everybody's phone calls on Congress. So why he's giving a big speech on why there is a phantom army operating that some people want to call ISIS, which should have been a, you know, a, they, they should have, if they were really Islamic terrorists, being called ISIS 
should have been death knells to everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, we, we kind of mentioned that here, that it's, isn't it odd that they would name the, you know, Islamics would name themselves ISIS? Are you kidding me? And they have not objected. Well, yeah, and then they tried to quickly, you know, change it to ISIL. Like, oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, we didn't think. You know, and, and it's just so stupid. And who comes up with, I mean, honestly, uh, what do they call those things uh, when you come up with a screwy name just so you can get the letters right? Acronym or Acronyms, like yeah. Who does that? Uh, the military. They're right. great for that. That's, they, spend, they spend a lot of brain power coming up with names that really only kind of make sense. But then again, right. Congress does it too when they come up with things like the Patriot Act and you know, oh boy, look at that. You know, and and you know, it, it says that, but what does it mean? Well, not that, but you know. So you know, they got their fingerprints all over it, is what I'm saying. Right, and they're all over Loretta Lynch's envelope too. Well, you know, Loretta Lynch was in the news again today, and I'll just bring it up because she's from your neighborhood, and uh, now she says uh, when she was asked. She says that uh, oh, illegal aliens have a right to have Americans' jobs. Well, you, wait a minute, Frank. You missed the point. Do you know who she was introduced to the Senate by? No. Al D'Amato's protege, Christine Gillibrand. Oh, I see. She purposely ushered her in and said, everybody who votes for her, she said this in the bathroom, it's going to get an envelope. You mean another envelope? Another envelope. I mean, because everybody in that bunch of whorehouse up there in, in the Potomac, they're all getting envelopes already from somebody. Uh, well, more than just somebody, lots of somebody. And she's working the bathroom with all those women senators, let me tell you. So... Um, so where are we at, Frank, in this whole situation? So we know Jesus Well, I don't know. Is... Tie us into the refineries again. Okay. So now, in order to get the oil from the colonies to Germany, they have to cause a crisis of oil, right? So this is why they have Saudi Arabia surrounded and Prince Mohammed bin Salman al-Saud is, is, is like, he's pulling up the GE Board of Directors and the State Street Bank Board of Directors as we speak right now. And, he's, and so in order to cause this crisis, you have to shut down the oil production to increase the prices right. so that you can say to the American people, we need to refine more oil to get our gross national product up. Because there is only two things right now that America makes. Refined oil and Hollywood movies. Yeah, and they're not doing too good with the Hollywood movies. I mean, you know, okay, Clint Eastwood movies making some money, but, uh, you know, they have made some terrible... They... I don't know what it is with Hollyweird, but unless it's like a you know a comic book superhero movie or something, 
which you can't really say is creative. I mean, they may be fun to watch. I like them, but, I mean, it's not like they're creative. You're taking somebody's idea from 40 years ago, for crying out loud. But, I mean, they're not coming up with any new ideas. They have, they, it's like they've lost any creativity in Hollywood. Well, Frank, you don't want creativity because it turns out that GE is running Comcast, which is running Universal. And they are, you know, Universal Pictures, you know, and um, they're Paramount Pictures as well. So, and then you have the, the other six major studios, Disney, Sony, um, I can't remember the list of them right now. Oh, Fox, 20th Century Fox, and it goes on okay. and on, and then there's some other ones, uh, you know, spin-off. Okay. All right, so between Holly Weird and the petroleum companies, that's it in America. Well, and yeah, and, and what's just happened? I mean, you know, what, oil, a barrel of oil is, what, $43 a barrel today? And Holly Weird can't make any money? Johnny Depp's last film, it cost him $70 million to make, has made like $4.5 million so far? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, wait, so wait, wait, wait. if these are the only two industries, uh, we have trouble. Well, thank God, Corpus Christi, uh, the refinery, which is owned by Sabre, it, is, it, it can do a capacity of 200,000 barrels a day. Uh, so we have to say to ourselves, why is everything, I mean, just think of it as 200,000 barrels, right, of refined petroleum products on the shore of Corpus Christi. Like, how is it going to get to Duluth, Michigan? How is it going to get to uh, Arkansas? But I see well, Arkansas it, doesn't have any. It's going to go. It's going to go through China and come back in iPhones. That's that's what it's going to happen. Okay. Everything. So for fine. those people in Tennessee, well, let me ask you, you some though, Dean, because I've course. read about this that we haven't built a new refinery in something like forty years now. Uh, Nineteen seventy-six was the last. One, I think. What's the lifespan of an average refinery? Kind of like a nuclear power plant that we haven't built any of those either, and they're all, aren't they all uh, out of date? Yeah. I, I, well, there are some new ones. There's one in Oklahoma that was built in 81. Okay. Alaska, 85. All right. But, you know. Alaska. Nevada was in 91. You know? Now, these are nuclear power plants, correct? No, no, these are actually ones processing the fracking. Oh, refineries. Okay. Well, you know what? They're not exactly refineries because they're dealing with liquid natural gas. Oh, okay. So From they're the basically fracking. they're basically just natural gas transfer points. Yes. Cuz they don't so, they don't have to do anything to natural gas except basically get it in a pipeline. Right, and then liquefy it on the coast. Well, yeah, if they're going to transport it, that's fairly new, though. They uh, they they didn't do that for a long time. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I think the, pretty much the last one, big oil refineries were built in the seventies. You know, a, so what's the average lifespan of one of them? I mean, aren't they? Uh, you know, we had down in what was that? Uh, Texas City, Texas, big refinery blew up. I mean, you know, do these things get old and start malfunctioning? Yeah, just like our nuclear power plants. In fact, I think they say that the 
the biggest one was the last one that was really built big was in 1977 in Garyville, Louisiana. Now, 1977, folks, not only was Led Zeppelin doing a tour of the United States, but that was just too, I think gas was uh, 59 cents a gallon. Hey, I didn't even have my driver license yet. Well, if you did, you saw me riding down the road at my... Yeah, well, I didn't have my driver license yet, but uh, you're not in 77 anyway, but yeah, that's pretty sad. Yeah. Anyway, Dean, we are out of time. Oh, my God, so is State Street Bank and General Electric. Well, you know, I, I have trouble being feeling sorry for them. I really do. Anyhow, thanks for coming on and sharing all this, and uh, we'll see you again Monday, and folks. I'll see you tomorrow at noon. It's Friday again, so there'll be no nighttime show except for the repeat of uh, tomorrow afternoon at noon. Tune in then if you can, and as always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Iron Mountain. This report is something you would never believe unless you read it. But you also have to understand the mindset of the government that requested it. And that is one of the most important features of this video. The objective was to determine accurately and realistically the nature of the problems that would confront the United States if and when a condition of permanent peace should arrive. This is one of the key elements of the report because we are to go under, under the Antichrist system, an error of supposed peace. And this is what this whole program was about. If and when a condition of permanent peace should arise, that means that peace in reality equals world socialism, as we will find out as we journey through this report. And they were to draft a program for dealing with this contingency. In other words, this is a planned situation. equals the agenda and how do we control the people of America 
if we move to an era of peace. And not only just America, but the, uh, the whole world at large. In 1961, Public Law 87-297 was passed, paving the way for the United States to be merged with the United Nations. It's a very crucial law in that it disarms the American citizen in violation of the clear intent of the Constitution, which calls for our right to bear arms to maintain our free state. And by the calling for the disarming of all Americans, of course, we lose our free state and we are submerged, actually, into a slave state. Uh, the disarming was to be done by a period of gradual disarmament, and as they were disarming, the United Nations would be built up with a powerful standing army. The evidence suggests a CFRTC Bilderberg connection, the rich men of the earth, the merchants of Babylon, the killers of the just, according to the Holy Scriptures. concerns itself with a globalist agenda and the conclusions reached have been advanced by these groups every one of the conclusions in uh, in the Iron Mountain report have been advanced by these groups Committee of 300 the CFR TC Bilderbergers Royal Institute for International Affairs Tavistock your Club of Rome United Nations it goes on and on Okay, it began back in 1950, actually. These hearings uh, began to take place in the United States, and the calls for a world government were actually held in 1950. Here's a resolution uh, in Congress that was considered and called for testimony, and it says to provide a true world government through the adoption of a world government constitution. It was a clear intent to place uh, the United States directly under the United Nations and to scrap our Constitution. Universal peace is a prerequisite for the pursuit of that goal and for the competitive anarchy of nations or nation states. Therefore, the age of nations must end and the era of humanity must begin. You will find there's a constant call for the merging of all humanity. Here's a resolution uh, adopted in the United Nations. This is what it says, regulation, limitation, and balanced reduction of all armed forces and all armaments. The all armaments means your weapons that you have in your closet for your own defense. It includes handguns and rifles and all kinds of things. Here's your blueprint for world peace, which was issued also in 1961, uh, concurrently as this move uh, towards putting us under the United Nations. You'll find that as the United Nation, or United States and the R Russian military are to be reduced, the UN is consistently brought up to a higher and higher position. The only thing we are left with are internal security forces. Under the Freedom From War, this is a packet issued by the uh, federal government to go along with uh, 87 to 97. This can only be achieved, the merging and disarmament, through the progressive strengthening of international institutions under the United Nations and by creating a United Nations Peace Force. See, they want to progressively strengthen the international institutions, all of which come under the United Nations. We are to lose our sovereignty. This can only be achieved through the progressive strengthening. 
by creating a United Nations peace, which really means police force, to enforce the peace. This is what Daniel said, and by peace the Antichrist shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. All right, back to the government report that this banding of all national armed forces and a prohibition of their reestablishment in any form whatsoever other than the required to preserve internal order and for contributions to a United Nations peace force. They're to bring the UN up to a point where no state should, would have the military power to challenge the progressively strengthened U.S. police uh, peace force and all international disputes would be settled according to the agreed principles of international conduct. That's exactly what the Bible says. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. No one can make war with this final world entity. If you will study your scriptures out, you will find that the United Nations fulfills every parameter listed for the uh, Antichrist system. And Public Law 87.297 has been updated. There are numerous updates. You will, if you go search them out, uh, Public Law 101.216, for example, has been updated. Here's another one. I have today signed H.R. 1495, the Arms Control and Disarmament Amendment Acts of 1989. Uh, it authorizes the uh, fiscal appropriations uh, to get this thing underway. Now, the problem with it is the Bill of Rights and Amendment 2, the right to bear arms, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In other words, in reality, you cannot infringe that right in any way, method, or manner. The only way a people can remain free is to hold in their power the weapons necessary to secure their free state. This amendment deals with the international security of the United States from its own government. In other words, this amendment was to secure the people's freedom from their own government, from an internal government takeover. This right is not there uh, so that you can go hunting or for the other excuses made. It is there to prevent the government of the United States from becoming a dictatorship by treason. In other words, by betrayal of the Constitution of the United States. Now, in order to merge the United States into the United Nations requires a total betrayal of the Constitution, which guarantees you a free state through the right to bear arms. You see the connection? The United Nations is a communist, illuminist, Masonic world dictatorship, and there are no freedoms, hence they have to get the guns to eliminate the free state nation guarantee in our Constitution. The Iron Mountain Report, then, is a report in reality on how to circumvent the Constitution of the United States. And in reality, 
it's a document of treason, uh, of how the rich men of the earth are actually going to divert the attentions of the people away so they can get this done. The guidelines given by the government for the Iron Mountain Report, one, military-style objectivity, two, avoidance of any value assumptions, and three, the inclusion of all relevant data. And this is a very important part of this report, is the avoidance of all value assumptions. This is what makes it so absolutely cold and inhuman. It is to be a moral, it is as a computer is a moral. It deals in factual data. There is not any mercy, there's not any compassion. It doesn't deal in right or wrong, or what is good or evil. It is a report on the handling of men, women, children, and babies on the basis of herd or animal management without regard to any moral considerations whatsoever. It reduces people to objects. It reduces all humans to non-entities with no rights of self-determination, with no rights granted by the Creator, and with absolutely no rights under a Constitution. The Constitution has been effectively canceled by Iron Mountain. Now, again, you'll find these resolutions coming up in Congress all the time that want to strengthen the United Nations uh, to establish an international criminal court, SJ-32. Uh, these are bills uh, before the Congress and the Senate. Uh, the implementation of Agenda 21 and other Earth Summit agreements, which is all United Nations. Reagan called for the uh, uh, World Army. Uh, there is. Uh, Clinton has approved the UN Army. You're seeing it on TV all the time. War is required, the glue of the nations, according to the Iron Mountain Report. Is war the scourge of the nations? It is said that war is merely an extension of diplomacy by other means. It is also said that war is necessary waste. But what is war, and why do peoples of the earth continuously fight and die? Why do millions of human families have a member or members that they have lost to this thing called war. What is the reality behind war? Does man have to fight wars, or can he develop a system of peace? And would the development of peace be worse than war itself? The Bible gives us some answers. The rest can be supplied by simple logic and deduction. James tells us that from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The root of war, then, is lust, and lust is want, and want is greed. And the root of greed is a self-centered heart, an unregenerated human heart. This is the key we need to explain war, and the Bible gives us many clues to why warfare is, and that in reality it can never be stopped. 
the root of the problem lies with the human heart, and the Bible says that the human heart is so desperately wicked that none can know it. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Paul says in Romans, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. Jesus was very emphatic that out of the heart of man poured forth all kinds of evil. The problem with mankind is then his evil heart, evil because it is self-centered and evil because it does not contain true love. The love within that it does have is hurtful or harmful, manipulative, self-centered, and filled with its own desires, according to the Lord. But we obtain other clues as well from the scriptures as to the true reasons for war, and particularly in our day and age. Jesus, uh, rather James says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered. The rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped together treasure for the last days. Ye have killed and condemned the just. Now let's run a little logic. Lust is the center of war. Lust is greed, and greed is from evil, self-centered hearts. The Bible also says that the love of money is the root of all evil, or the height of all greeds. Lust, then, is greed, and the ultimate greed is an insane love of money, which brings with it power, which brings with it control over mankind. Thus, the rich men of the earth are indeed in total control over money, and they have developed a system of economic controls well laid out in the scriptures. If the rich men of the earth gain control over the planet via their Babylonian economic system, then they are the ones who are only powerful enough and rich enough to wage war, and they are the only ones who can develop the war machines that you are looking at on your television screen. They are the ones who can develop the weapons necessary for modern warfare. Iron Mountain agrees. The very title confirms the Bible. The title says that it is a report on the desirability and feasibility for peace. It was ordered by the rich men of the earth. Therefore, they themselves must be the ones waging the wars, and now they have elected not to wage wars, but have elected uh, to do something else because warfare is drawing to a close, it will have soon served its purpose. In other words, it is a deliberate effort to bring in another system, for the first system of war has almost accomplished the goals originally intended. Albert Pike was purported to have written a letter in which he outlines three world wars. Each had a specific purpose and each had a goal. The last war, World War III, was to be fought to bring in an era of peace under Lucifer, it was to be fought predominantly uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union, and it would come in an era of seeming peace when it seemed like everything was fine, everything was great. The Bible says that the Antichrist is a man of peace. He rides a white horse and has no war machine. There are no arrows in his bow. He is to usher in a period of peace after great wars. Iron Mountain is about this era of peace. Iron Mountain is a report to aid Antichrist in his rise to power. It is in reality a report from hell.
Iron Mountain asks, what can be expected if peace comes? What should we be prepared to do about it? What, for instance, are the real functions of war in modern societies? These are very important questions. The Soviet Union says the peaceful exploration of outer space is the constructive alternative to the plans uh, aimed at spreading the arms race. In other words, we are always going to find that the opposite of war is peace, which of course it is in reality. But what Iron Mountain is getting at is what are the real functions of warfare, the invisible functions of warfare? What role do they play in the overall structure of human society? For example, the Soviet Union has been on a war fitting for years and years. We have, to a lesser extent, in America, been on a war footing. Uh, it's been predominantly uh, a cold war for, for many, many years, but nonetheless, it has been and as far as the economics of it are concerned, it has been a war era. It's been an age of war. And what this report is asking about is what about peace? It is surely no exaggeration to say that conditions of world peace would lead to changes in the social structure of the nations. These changes would be of unparalleled and revolutionary magnitude. As we would transition then from an era of war into peace, what would be the problems? It is an incorrect assumption that war as an institution is subordinate to the social system it is believed to serve. What they're saying here is that nations wage war for reasons other than what they state. War itself is the basic social system within which others are secondary modes of organization, conflict, or conspire. In other words, war itself is the basic social system of mankind. And if we go to peace, we're going to have problems unless we understand that. It is the system which has governed most human societies on record today. Well, this is, of course, very true in our day and age. We have seen nothing but war starting uh, predominantly with World War One and coming forward. Uh, the Soviet Union has uh, had tremendous expenditures in their military, and the United States has likewise. It's been, in reality, an arms race. Uh, we're going to find out there is a reason for it. The capacity of a nation to make war is the greatest social power it can exercise. War-making, active or contemplated, is a matter of life and death, says Iron Mountain. The misconceptions of war, one, to defend a military, or defend a nation, rather, from military attack by another, or to deter such attack, to defend the national interest, economic, political, or ideological, to maintain or increase a nation's military power for its own sake. Now, you see, these are the visible or more obvious reasons why a person would say, well, that's why we have war. 
But what they're saying is there are more less obvious, very invisible reasons for why nations have war. And this is the heart of the entire Iron Mountain report. Its conclusion was that war is absolutely necessary. It's an absolute requirement for human societies and nations to come together. It is in reality, they claim, the glue of the nations. The Soviet military machine or its war-making capacity is the actual glue that has held the Soviet Union and the Communist Empire together. If they were to move into an era of peace, what would happen? Right? Iron Mountain says it is these invisible or implied functions that are the dominant forces in our society. So what we have to find out then is what are the true functions of war in a society. Why, for example, has the Soviet Union and the United States, uh, both of which are controlled by the rich men of the earth, been on a constant war footing, constantly escalating this conflict? Why are they doing it, and what are the reasons behind it? Economic reasons are it is a necessary waste that operates outside the normal economic supply and demand system. Warfare creates an artificial demand. In other words, the war system itself, having huge militaries with all of their armaments, with all of the research and developments, creates a demand. This waste of money outside the system, according to Iron Mountain, acts as a counterbalance to the economic uh, growth of the nation. It is progressive for research and development of weapon systems, and it spurs technological advances which spin off and help society at large. Defense spending, per se, might be countenanced on economic grounds alone as a stimulator of the national metabolism. In other words, war itself, for economic purposes, is a tremendous growth factor. For the political reasons, it's different. A nation is a group of people organized together with a common goal and a national identity. The nation has an outlook or an attitude of how it will deal with other nations, and that's what we call foreign policy. A nation's foreign policy, says Iron Mountain, can have no substitute if it lacks, or no substance rather, if it lacks the means of enforcing its attitude. In other words, if the nation is not strong enough, it doesn't matter what their attitude towards somebody else is. War is itself the defining element of any nation's existence vis-a-vis -vis any other nation. War, then, equals nations because it is the glue of nations and what causes them to come together, and peace would mean the dissolving of the nations. The elimination of war implies the elimination of national sovereignty and the traditional nation state. Please understand the importance of that remark in Iron Mountain. It is the elimination of war that brings us 
to world government. The war system not only has been essential to the existence of nations as independent political entities, but has been equally indispensable to their stable internal development. Without it, the war system, no government has ever been able to obtain its legitimacy. Or in other words, we could say it's right to rule its society. War is the basis of that claim to rule, and it is therefore the glue that holds a nation together, according to Iron Mountain. The possibility of war provides a sense of external necessity without which no government can remain in power. The organization of a society for the possibility of war is its principal political stabilizer. All right. In other words, for the Soviet Union, they said that the American people were the enemy. And that gave them the glue which held the Soviet Empire together, which rallied the people to make such sacrifices so that we could build up this huge war machine. The basic authority of the modern state over its people resides in its war powers. Now, that's another very important statement. Therefore, a substitute for the war system must be found in order to control the people and provide stability and legitimacy of government if we go into an era of peace. Now, we know that the United Nations is to be that era of peace. So, therefore, what they are saying is, we have to find substitutes for what war does, the invisible functions of war. We have to find a substitute for that if we are going to go to peace. Obviously, if the war machine is discarded, new political machinery would be needed at once. In other words, as they phase war out, they have to phase whatever they're going to put in its place in to control the people, to control the nation. This is an essential part of Iron Mountain. Until it, the substitute for war, is developed, the continuance of the war system must be assured to maintain the stability of its internal organization of power. In other words, we have to keep the war system going in order to remain in control. Keep war until all substitutes are in place and running so we don't lose our rulership. In other words, those that are in power are going to remain in power. They've got to figure out a way to do that. So they're going to de-escalate the war system as they bring in a peace system. And the peace system is going to radically alter our societies. What substitutes for war are there? Well, it has to be a universal threat of equal magnitude as that of world war. The immediate loss of life and the immediate thought that blood is going to be shed. It has to be credible and it must be accepted by the vast majority of the population of any given nation or, in reality, the whole world if they're going to bring in global peace. Credibility, in fact, says Iron Mountain, lies at the heart of the problem of developing a political substitute for war. 
we must emphasize that one must be found of credible quality and magnitude if a transition to peace is to ever come about without social disintegration. In other words, really what they're saying is a nation would self-destruct without an external threat of some type. It is more probable in our judgment that such a threat will have to be invented rather than developed from some unknown conditions. That means exactly what it says. They're going to invent a system to accomplish this. An effective political substitute for war would require alternate enemies. In other words, we have to find an external threat that's uh, essentially very large. It may be, for instance, that gross pollution of the environment can eventually replace the possibility of mass destruction by nuclear weapons as the principal threat to the survival of the species. In other words, they're going to bring the environment up to a point of global threat. Poisoning of the air and of the principal sources of food and water supply is already well advanced and at first glance would seem promising in this respect. It constitutes a threat that can be dealt with only through social organization and political power. But from present indications, it will be a generation to a generation and a half before environmental pollution will be sufficiently menacing on a global scale to offer a solution as a substitute for war. In other words, we replace the war threat with an environmental threat. Now you know why the environment is on the TVs and the media constantly. A generation to, is about 30 years, so it would be about 1991 if this would be brought up to a global scale. It is true that the rate of pollution could be increased selectively for this purpose. In other words, what they're going, you could, you could selectively find areas where you could deliberately increase the pollution to get this threat in motion a little quicker. It is true that the rate of pollution could be increased selectively. In fact, the mere modification of existing programs for the deterrence of pollution could speed up the process enough to make the threat credible much sooner. In other words, let's have the governments drag their feet on pollution controls or the enforcement of pollution controls. And around the world, that's exactly what we have seen, a matter of foot dragging on the areas. One would then perhaps get the concept that this was all deliberate. Allow pollution to deliberately get worse until it can be manipulated by the controlled media into a world crisis. A global crisis has to be developed. Al Gore, Vice President, a very timely book. Perhaps coincidentally, he wrote the book called Earth in the Balance, Ecology and the Human Spirit. It's a modern version of Iron Mountain in the ecological field. And, and in reality, it's quite an interesting book. You, you should go out and buy a copy of it. Uh, the world uh, government organizations are pushing this climate crisis, emergency Earth Rescue Administration, the people of the earth have a new common enemy which requires an emergency worldwide campaign. 
we see, and we have to abandon our armaments to join in a common cause for survival. What did Iron Mountain say? It had to be a threat to the survival of the species. first able to see complete pictures of the Earth. Environmentalists began to look at our planet as a single fragile ecosystem. Now we are intensely studying the thin halo of atmosphere that surrounds the Earth. It recycles the air we breathe, regulates climate, and acts as a protective barrier filtering out much of the sun's harmful radiation. Last year, an international group of scientists proved that ozone, the key element in this filtering process, is being lost at an alarming rate over the South Pole. In fact, a sizable hole develops over this area each winter. Without ozone, the sun's harmful radiation will destroy life on Earth. A group of man-made compounds called chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, used as refrigerants, cleaning solvents, and some plastic foams are to blame for this environmental problem. They eventually make their way into the atmosphere and destroy ozone. According to Dr. Brian Toon of NASA's Ames Research Center, it is a global-scale environmental problem. This really marks the first time uh, in the history of environmental science where human beings on one side of the planet have done something to the planet that has significantly affected it globally and on, on the far side of the planet from where the original pollution took place. Using the beautiful seaport town of Stavanger, Norway, as a base of operations, an international team of scientists assembled this year in an emergency effort to make a detailed study of the North Pole. Most of the work was performed aboard two NASA aircraft. This is the ER-2. For the mission, special wing pods are attached containing atmospheric chemistry analysis equipment and a host of other instruments. Typically, flights are made about 20 miles along the fringes of space, right into the layers of atmosphere directly affected by ozone mass. The ER-2 research partner is a modified DC-8. It flies at lower altitudes, but has increased fuel reserves, which allow it to cover more territory, even flights directly over the North Pole. Inside, the DC-8 is actually a complete scientific observatory loaded with sensing instruments. Scientists perform their experiments and are able to map results right on the spot. This instrument contains four lasers capable of shooting light many miles up into the atmosphere. The light reflects back to the plane and provides scientists with a cross-sectional map of ozone concentrations as well as aerosols or regions where ozone depletion is capable of occurring. Initial results from both aircraft indicate that high concentrations of CFCs have been found at northern latitudes, primed for ozone destruction. When combined with high-altitude ice clouds, the right amount of sunlight and confined slow-moving masses of air, ozone destruction occurs. As a result of this airborne mission, scientists were able to confirm the process and predict areas of the future. 
International policymakers have met in hopes of limiting the amount of CFC production and recently agreed to phase out its use by the year 2000. Many scientists worry that this may not be soon enough. Again, Dr. Turner. With the ozone problem, for example, when you release perfluorocarbons to the environment, it's decades to centuries before those are removed. Researching safe economic replacements for CFCs is a vital part of solving this serious environmental issue. Thanks to the intensive work done in the last few years, we know why ozone depletion exists. It is now up to the world community to take responsibility for the future of our global environment. Two Landsat satellites continue to orbit the Earth 14 times a day. From their 570-mile-high vantage point, they return images like these taken over rich California farmlands. Telltale red images indicate vigorous vegetation growth. The state of California is using Landsat imagery to inventory and map its irrigated cropland. Ecology, the balance of nature, is important to all life. One of the tools we can use to monitor this balance of nature on Earth is the satellite. Satellites can be used to observe our planet from a high vantage point. A NASA film called Remote Possibilities tells the story. From far out in space, the Earth appears serene and beautiful, displaying no hints of our crowded planet's many problems. of even the once seemingly limitless oceans. Management of Earth's resources is at a critical stage. It has never been more important that we understand the environmental relationships of our planet. Scientists are striving to apply the technology of the space age. The quest for more and better information about these complex relationships. In 1972, a new kind of satellite left the launch pad and rose to an altitude of 910 kilometers from Earth. There it settled in a circular orbit around the planet. This satellite, called Landsat, opened a new era of Earth resource management. substitute for war has then been found. The Iron Mountain agenda is being carried out. The objectives of the EcoScan? Well, the UN will end up with control over all the land, and ownership of the land will be held by the rich men. There is arising a crisis of worldwide proportions involving developed and developing countries alike, the crisis of the human environment. The process of compromise of national interests will, of course, have to take place. International economic security is inconceivable unless related not only to the world's environment, but also to the elimination of the threat to the world's environment. 
Well, the only major threat is private property ownership and private property rights where people can do as they want. Let us also think about setting up within the framework of the United Nations a Center for Emergency Environmental Assistance. You can see how they're raising this thing up to an emergency status, an emergency le level. And that's what Mikhail Gorbachev said in December 8, 1989 in a speech to the United Nations. The United Nations will be the controller of all the lands in the world through their various ecological, environmental uh, organizations that they are in the process of setting up. In fact, the Rio Earth Summit was for that specific reason. Now, it's owned by the rich men. That's who owns the United Nations. That's who actually runs it. Eco Foundations of the World Wildlife Fund, Heritage Trust, Nature Conservancy, etc. Uh, there's a lot of them, and you have many UN organizations. And the rich men of the earth sit on the boards of directors on all of these groups. These groups are buying up huge chunks of private land for conservation, they say, and to preserve the earth. And of course, all of it is to be owned by the rich men. And what they cannot purchase by normal means will be taken under zoning controls, DNR regulations, or other land grab means via governmental authority and regulation. All land will be under strict eco-controls because, after all, we are now involved and in, in the middle of an eco-emergency, and it's nothing but a scam. It's really a debt for land swap is another part of it. The international bankers loan and control the monies to all the countries and through interest have driven them into huge debt status. The debt of the United States is in the trillions. The bankers then come forward with a new plan. They will take the nation's land and then they will cancel the debt of that nation. It is called a debt for land swap. This land will be held by a World Conservation Bank, owned, of course, by the rich men of the earth. They will then own all the land, all the resources, all the food. They become the absolute masters, and all the people become the slaves. It's a perfect scam. It's a perfect system. Because the eco-threat is now global, then obviously it can only be controlled by a global authority. And guess who that is? Why, of course, it's the United Nations. Now, the eco-scam is being pushed by every organization that's involved in the environment. Uh, even Time magazine ran an article on the endangered earth. It's being put in all your children's uh, school books all of their study books about the crowding of human life, about how we have such an ecological crisis, an environmental crisis, and unless we all do our share, why the whole world is just going to disintegrate and the entire population of man will be eliminated. That's according to them. It's very interesting that Daniel said of the Antichrist that he shall divide the land for gain. In other words, he takes over all the land and divides it up amongst these various foundation groups. And that's exactly what's happening.
hotly argued that such a menace would offer the last best hope for peace by uniting mankind against the danger of destruction by creatures from other planets or from outer space. Experiments have been proposed to test the credibility of an out-of-the-world invasion threat. It is possible that a few of the more difficult-to-explain flying saucer incidents are of this nature. The thrust of the second threat is to unite mankind against a common enemy. The escalation of the UFO mystery requires careful media control. The threat must also dovetail into the agenda for a one-world government. Everything that Iron Mountain proposes in all of their substitutes will lead into a one-world government. And that is the whole nature of it. There has been a tremendous amount of interest in UFO activity. Many, many books have been written about it. Uh, the average Christian, I believe, probably poo-poos the whole subject, but we believe here at uh, CIA they're making a tragic mistake when they do that uh, because the Bible uh, does mention some things that would tend to imply very strongly that UFOs are in fact real and will be a latter-day occurrence uh, just before the end and just before the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, as you can see, here's a book uh, for Christians, UFO End Time Delusion. It is part of the grand delusion that God is going to cast down upon man for the rejection of Jesus Christ in the end. There have been many books written about uh, the government's cover-up of the UFO experience and that the United States government knows exactly what is going on, and we would agree with that uh, from the viewpoint of the scriptures, uh, that the people of the world, the, the governments of the world, the, the highest levels of uh, the powers that be, uh, know exactly what's going on when it comes to the UFO mystery. They do because their mind is controlled by Satan, and he is the author of all of this. It's part of the grand delusion in the end. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now Satan was cast down to earth, and we were to observe it from here. It would appear as though he came down from heaven. For as the days of Noah were, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now Jesus said, so shall it also be. And the days of Noah were quite a few. He lived 950 years before and after the flood. He uh, was there when uh, men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Now, the book of Enoch gives us some information about that. It happened after the sons of men had multiplied in those days that the daughters were born to them, elegant and beautiful. And when the angels, the sons of heaven, came down, you see, they took wives, each choosing for himself, whom they began to approach and with whom they cohabitated. 
and uh, teaching them sorcery and incantations. Uh, and uh, the whole situation is one where these were literal fallen angels that came down and mated with the daughters of men. And they produced uh, a race of giants, according to the Book of Enoch. And many ancient writings give this interpretation to the Sons of God mystery of Genesis 6. And what is interesting is, is that they said they would return. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. Now, the word seducing comes from the word planos, which, if you do a word study, comes all the way back to where we get our word planet. Could it be that the interpretation is, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to imposters from other planets? That would be the most literal translation, and that is also exactly what is happening. These imposters are actually demons pretending to be from outer space. It is part of the grand delusion. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They reject the concept of creation, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This would result in UFO contacts of the first, second, and third kind as Satan sends his advanced guard to prepare man for the grand delusion. of an average planet, circling an ordinary yellow star, an advanced intelligence searches the sky for evidence of life. Directed by even higher intelligence, machines with brains of silicon patiently sift through faint shards of radio data for the unmistakable signal that will indicate the first sign of life beyond Earth. Now plans for the most sophisticated SETI search ever focus on the Goldstone Deep Space Communication Complex in California's Mojave Desert. It is the site of tests for a possible future NASA project, one not yet funded. The full-scale NASA system, when operational in the next decade, would be billions of times more powerful than the sum of all previous searches. For Carl Sagan, a proponent of SETI for many years, this technical progress has made the present unique. For the first time, we're mustering substantial, sophisticated, serious uh, scientific searches for, for extraterrestrial intelligence. There's never been a time like that before. So there is some chance that in the next few decades we will get the signal from some spectacularly distant, spectacularly exotic civilization, and everything on Earth will, as a consequence, change. That is possible.
partner to search for life beyond Earth has been debated for centuries. Deciding what sort of signal to look for in the sky is no easy task. NASA's proposed search focuses on radio, a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum where nature produces the least interference for any intelligent signal. The plan is to use existing radio antennas and combine them with advanced computer hardware and software specifically designed for the task. Signal processing equipment suitable for SETI is constantly becoming more powerful and more efficient, but also cheaper and smaller than ever before. The pioneer Frank Trace came up with a way to organize our developing knowledge and current ignorance. SETI scientists often use what's called the Drake Equation to illuminate the necessary conditions for contact and to provide a rough estimate of the number of other civilizations. The existence of other technical civilizations depends upon astronomy, how planets form, comparative planetology, biochemistry, the role of intelligence in evolution, technology, and the fate of technical civilizations. So SETI becomes a way to test our theories of the origin and evolution of the universe and the place of life within it. There are several keys here that we want to look at as we keep Iron Mountain's report in mind. The two primary keys are that evolution is an accepted fact, and ETs are now accepted at the highest levels of government. We believe that the SETI program is camouflage for what is really going on, or the contact uh, reports that have been gotten out from the government under the uh, Freedom of Information Act are in fact uh, cover uh, for the SETI program. But the two, we believe, are going to merge in the end and introduce uh, mankind to the aliens who are in reality demons uh, and Satan's advanced guard. The movies that have produced are very important. Uh, Satan plants a seed. He waters it. Then he sits back and watches it grow, and then he reaps the harvest. And the harvest, of course, is the loss of millions upon millions of men. The day the earth stood still was produced many years ago, but it's a very, very important film in that it planted the seed. The day the earth stood still uh, said that war must stop, peace must be enforced, and world government is a requirement to uh, get all of this to happen. The message was very important. E.T., a very, very popular movie, uh, taught us some things as well. It said that reptiles are very cute, that love is the answer, that love heals, but more importantly, that we all evolve in a different manner. You're going to find evolution at the bottom of all of these movies. And Star Wars is another one. Uh, how famous they were. Well, they're programming the human mind for certain things. One, evolution of the races, good and evil forces, a universal, eternal fight between the forces of good and evil, and more importantly, a federation of planets, a uniting of the nations, a uniting of all the planets. Mankind will evolve upwards and eventually will join an intergalactic civilization. And this is the important keynotes in every one of these movies. Uh, Close Encounters uh, 
of the third kind was a very, very important film. It was it bases itself on evolution. Two, that the United Nations is a central player in that movie. The U.S. military is connected to the United Nations in that movie, and that mankind will join interplanetary civilization. It starts by contact, by uh, exchanges of the races. In other words, some of our people go there, and some of their people come here. Now, something surfaced uh, not too long ago called Majestic 12 that dealt with government contact with aliens. A lot of people laugh at this document and think it's a hoax. Our research against the Bible would say that it is not a hoax, that this actually is legitimate and that contact has been made. Operation Majestic 12 is a top-secret research and development intelligence operation established by special classified executive order of President Truman. Now, this took place... Uh, back some years ago. Very interesting, however, what Majestic 12 sets up. A rancher reported that one, a UFO, had crashed in a remote region of New Mexico. Now, you might have even seen this uh, replayed on uh, Unsolved Mysteries. They ran uh, a series on this. A secret operation was begun to assure recovery of the wreckage of this object. Aerial reconnaissance discovered that four uh, four small human-like beings had ejected from the craft. All four were dead. News reporters were given the effective story that the object had been a weather balloon. They are discounting the UFOs to the public while they gather the evidence Secretly, the biological and evolutionary, there's your key, processes responsible for their development has apparently been quite different from those in Homo sapiens. Evolution is then a proven fact insofar as the government is concerned. They have accepted evolution as an established fact. The aliens then did not evolve as we did. This is the very basis of the grand delusion. It's creation versus evolution. Evolution is essential for the grand delusion because men reject the creation of the world and people by Jesus Christ. So it's very important you understand that evolution is the keynote. The ultimate intentions of these visitors is completely unknown, the report said. But if you read the Bible, you will know they are demons and you will know they are the advanced guard of Satan and that they are setting up the world for its final uh, ruin and taking of people into eternal hell. Uh, UFOs are real. There's no question about that they are real. The only question is, is what are they? And if you take the evidence of the scriptures, uh, definitely we believe here at least that they are the sons of God returning just exactly as they said they would in all the occultic literature talks about this. Now, there is an area out west called Area 51, uh, Groom Lake. Uh, There's also Tonopah. Uh, There are several areas uh, from which Project Red Light was developed. It's a top-secret testing program for alien technology for defense purposes. This is very interesting that a lot of this stuff is uh, 
being leaked right at this moment uh, as we get into this. A congressman said, I have no comment as to what is going on in Area 51. That was Congressman Harry Reid, and he went out there to visit the area because the Air Force had made a land grab, and he went out there on behalf of his constituents to find out why. It is said that President Eisenhower signed a treaty with actual aliens in 1957. The swap was they could take our people for experimentation and we would get technology in exchange. In other words, the aliens come to Earth, we take their technology to build our defense mechanisms. Now, a lot of people think this is ridiculous, but if you read what it says about Babylon the Great, the nation, it gets all of its technology from Satan. Satan is the one that gives them the power. And this is why the United Nations is being brought up. And this is why the United States is so deeply involved. In, in exchange for technology, the U.S. government agreed to allow the aliens to abduct humans for experiments. And this accounts for the large number of abductions reported all over America. This is part of the grand delusion, which has evolution at the root of it. Now you have actually two options. All of the leaks of this type of information are disinformation, where it is real, and the aliens really are here. The Bible evidence would be that it is real, the aliens are here, and that they are the advanced guard for Satan. He's programming the human race for this delusion, and it's based upon evolution. The sons of God of Genesis 6 have returned, as they said they would in occult writings. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so would it be again. And that's when the sons of God came down. So therefore, the agenda of Iron Mountain for external threat number two has been and is being carried out. Well, scientists are even going to the UN now to find out how are we going to answer these uh, aliens from our SETI contacts at NASA. They believe the UN should do all of this. And so you see it elevates the United Nations to power. And this is very important. It's part of the Iron Mountain uh, uh, agenda. It might be argued that a well-armed international police force operating under the authority of such a supernatural court could well serve this purpose. In other words, they're going to set up a, another threat. This is threat number three, actually, an omnipresent, virtually omnipotent political or police force. It's, uh, it's an international police force. Because remember, if we go into peace, we have to dissolve the nations, because war is the reason we have nations. All right, so the report then that was issued by the State Department, Freedom from War, and the program was to establish a permanent international peace force within the United Nations. In other words, to deliberately bring it up. The peacekeeping capabilities of the United Nations would be sufficiently strong and the obligations of all states under such an arrangement sufficiently far-reaching as to assure peace and a just settlement of, difficult, of differences in a disarmed world. 
they're going to use the United Nations to keep the peace. In other words, a world government, which is exactly what Daniel talked about and Jesus talked about. And uh, it's very deadly. During stage two, states will develop further the peacekeeping processes of the United Nations to the end that the United Nations can effectively uh, suppress any threat or use of force by anyone, and that would include the uh, America, the American people. It's going to be omnipresent, and it's going to be omnipotent in its ability to handle, and this is what Revelation says, who can make war with the beast, remember? that the U.S. and the Russia are to have their internal uh, or militaries turned over to the United Nations in this three-stage process, and we end up with the U.N. in total control of the world, a global entity, precisely as Daniel and Revelation talk about. It's, uh, and Jeremiah and Isaiah refer to it as, of course, Babylon. And this process, of course, emerges bringing out the United Nations as the final end-time global ruling entity, which the Bible refers to as the apparatus of the Antichrist, or we could say the Antichrist system. And that is why it sits in New York City, the big city. On the wall in the Security Council is the Phoenix. That picture you're looking at right there is, in reality, the Phoenix bird, uh, which is to grow up out of the old world order. America is to be patrolled by Russian, Belgian, Irish, and Colombian and Venezuelan troops under this plan. Uh, UN troops are already on U.S. soil, and it won't be very long before these sites that you're seeing right here are going to be very commonplace in the United States. And if the American citizens resist, they are simply going to be liquidated according to the Bible. Uh, this power will come to pass. They've laid their plans well, and God has ordained it uh, uh, and allowed it and is allowing it to happen. And so it's in reality here in America, it's a judgment against the United States. Uh, there are many books written about a United Nations Peace Force, so this is not anything we're making up. Uh, they come in under the, the U.N. Charter. The last part of it, this principle of non-interfering in a nation shall not prejudice the application of enforcement measures under Chapter 7. In other words, the United Nations claims that it doesn't really want to get involved in, in internal national affairs, but the opposite is in, react, uh, in reality the truth. Chapter 7 deals with action with respect to threats of the peace, breaches of the peace, or acts of aggression. And it's the Security Council itself that determines the existence of a threat, breach, or act of aggression. And it can even walk in under the threat, or it's a possibility that we might have problems. And they determine the existence of any threat to the peace. So they can come in if they choose to, on very fragile grounds, which is exactly what they did in Somalia. Should the Security Council consider that measures provided in 41, which are more economic uh, 
I don't know exactly what word to use, but sanctions, I guess, is the best word to cover it. If that doesn't work, if economic sanctions do not work, then they can resort to military powers. And they can use whatever they have to to maintain or restore international peace. Now, Psalm 2 says that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Where do the rulers of the world meet? They meet at the United Nations. And this is where they take their counsel together. And the United Nations is, according to the Bible, anti-Christ, anti-God to its very core. It is, in fact, the substitute for God and Christ on planet Earth. They intend to take it for themselves. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon Earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole Earth, and shall tread it down, and shall break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. Now, it's a diverse kingdom. The United Nations is not a kingdom, and it's not a nation. It exists solely by treaty power, by an arrangement of nations itself. <coughs> Excuse me. The United Nations is to be brought up to full global power with an army so powerful that none can fight against it. That's the entire plan, and that is exactly what the Bible talks about for the end times. It will also break into pieces the entire world, and that's done under Article 52, which deals with regionalism, which is, in fact, breaking the world into pieces. <clears throat> and this is how they do it. They actually subdivide the world into ten regions. That came out of the Club of Rome, and here are the regions on, on the uh, TV screen. Uh, region 1, of course, is uh, North America, and it's Region 1 by virtue of the fact that it, North America, and particularly the United States, are the is the primary power behind the United Nations, enabling this to happen. The United States itself is broken down into 10 federal regions. We have global regions, and now we have national regions. And in our country, they are simply called uh, federal regions. And we're moving, in, in effect, from elected officials to an appointed officials to non-elected bureaucrats who are appointed. Now, each region has uh, different states in it, and the number of states varies with each particular region. Then each state is subdivided up into its particular regions. Many times it falls along county lines. Many times it doesn't. Overlapping all of it is, of course, a uh, grid to keep getting smaller and smaller, which is the reason why thousands or millions, actually, of Americans are getting address changes. They're going under the United Nations grid system, which divides the world into tiny pieces, which is exactly what Daniel said. They can get it right down to your house number. In fact, they can get it down to about 10 square yards of turf. NASA's Landsat 4 satellite, shown here just before its trip into space, was launched from the Western Test Range by a Delta rocket. This Landsat is the fourth in a series of NASA spacecraft designed to continuously collect accurate information on Earth's resources. 
More than 100 nations will make use of the information gathered by Landsat 4 in land use planning, mineral exploration, and agriculture. Landsat project scientist Dr. Vincent Solomonson described a new instrument on the satellite called the thematic mapper. In urban planning, the thematic mapper will be very effective. Features that were blurred or hazy over cities as viewed by the, the multispectral scanner on Landsats 1 through 3 will be seen much more clearly from the thematic mapper. And as a result, urban planners will be able to manage and monitor the spread of the urban sprawl into the surrounding countryside. The major receiving and processing facility for Landsat data is located at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. After completing its three-year mission, Landsat 4 is designed to be retrieved by the space shuttle. Okay, standing by for up telemetry command reset. So what we have are 10 federal regions. We have 10 federal regional councils, which are miniature Washingtons, in each federal capital. We're being regionalized, and pretty soon there won't be any such things as counties or states. So what we're doing is we're going from county and state control to total federal control, and then the federal government's losing its control to the United Nations. This is globalism. This leads to the federalization of our police or the security forces within the United States. And this is really in total violation of the constitutional implications, but they're not paying any attention to the Constitution. The internal security forces are not your peacekeeping, UN peacekeeping troops. Uh, peacekeeping troops are there to put down uh, actual revolutions and, and wars. The internal security forces are there more for crime control and the rounding up of people. Predominantly, the MJTF police will be the national police force. And this is George Bush and Clinton and the rest of them have continuously pushed this arms control treaty because they have to disarm us in order to make this thing work. If you will recall, we discussed that in the constitutional crisis. The MJTF police means multi-jurisdictional task force police, and it removes all citizens from local, county, and state protections that you had under the law, and they're just abolishing all of this. And the MJTF police mission, we believe, is the house-to-house -house search and seizure of uh, people. It's made up of National Guard units, state and local police, convert street gangs as needed into uh, deputized police. House-to-house -house search and seizure, separa uh, separation and categorization of men, women, and children as prisoners in large, war, uh, large areas. Now, you have to understand that in order to liquidate the millions of people that Jesus Christ says are going to be liquidated, they have to plan this out long before it happens. 1965, they started the Office of Law Enforcement Assistance. Then came, in 1968, the Omnibus Crime Control Act, which converted the OLEA to the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration. They called, in turn, in 1971 for a regionalized police force. In 1971, an advisory commission on intergovernmental relations issued a pamphlet called uh, M67, which called for a special multi-county and interstate police force. In other words, 
the merging of all police forces into one federal group. The LEAA in 1973 made calls for the elimination by merger of small police forces. This is exactly what Germany did under Hitler. All dictatorships have two common characteristics, general confiscation of guns in order to prevent internal rebellion and the establishment of a national police force to enforce the edicts of the dictator. We are following Nazi Germany almost to the exact letter. Uh, Carter issued an executive order 12148 and he established the Federal Emergency Management Agency known as FEMA. FEMA absorbed the LEAA and became the primary control organization for internal security of the United States in an emergency. They're gearing this thing towards an emergency. That emergency is going to be World War III, and it ushers in this whole system. They, they, FEMA has many interesting programs, Rex 82 Bravo, Rex 84 Alpha, Helix 2, Rex Alpha, Night Train, Cable Splicer, Garden Plot. These are all martial law training exercises. The plan is to bring America under martial law. We believe they know the American people would never accept this system except an external emergency were given. Uh, the UN system, remember, is a martial law military system. And then the executive orders of FEMA, mandatory registration of all people, including babies and children in the United States, at the United States Post Office. They have boxes in them. We already know about it. Uh, they're marked for emergency use only. Uh, the primary one here to look at is 11,000 seizure of all civilians and work brigades, which is in reality slavery. It includes the rights to split up families as well. In essence, what will happen in America is going to be worse than the communist revolution in Russia. This plan provides the basis for the deployment and employment of military resources, including National Guard personnel, for civilian disturbances. So Iron Mountain external threat number three has been and is now being implemented. An omnipotent police force. Next on the list is the space program as an economic substitute for war. It is the development of a long-range sequence of space research projects with largely unattainable goals. It's the nearest modern equivalent yet devised to pyramid building and similar ritualistic enterprises of ancient societies. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Saturn V was huge. The rocket itself 
the building where it was assembled and the crawler transporter that carried it to the launch pad. The fully loaded Apollo Saturn V was 363 feet tall. Its main engines alone generated 160 million horsepower, and its fuel pumps pushed fuel to the engines with a force of 30 diesel locomotives. As Saturn V lifted off Launch Complex 39 for the first time, it weighed more than 2,800 tons. Soviet Union and the United States. The mission called for a mutual docking and crew exchange to develop the necessary equipment for international space rescues. We looked back at planet Earth with Landsat remote sensing satellites. Crops, forests, pollution, 
all can be photographed in great detail to help us better manage our Earth's resources. As of now, two-thirds of the planets in our solar system have been explored, and by the end of this decade, we will have explored most of the rest, including Uranus and Neptune. Space Shuttle 5, the first operational flight. Two commercial communication satellites were hauled into orbit, one for satellite business systems and one for Telesat of Canada. Their deployment was a complete success. Did you get it? You don't have it, obviously. I got it. Space Shuttle 6 was the second operational mission and Flight 1 for Challenger, this country's newest spacecraft. After launching a 5,000-pound tracking and data relay satellite from the payload bay, mission specialist astronauts Story Musgrave and Donald Peterson became the first Americans in nine years to walk in space. Practice needed for satellite repair work. Historically, the space program has proceeded in a building block fashion. And toward that end, NASA has begun looking at the next logical step, a possible future space station, a permanent presence in space. The station would serve as a scientific and technological laboratory, as well as an operation space from which satellites could be serviced and large structures assembled. One of the highest priorities is to develop a clear understanding of a station's proper role in the total space program so that if and when it is proposed for development, the station will be a truly significant national asset, one that would ensure continued American preeminence in space. The space program in general, and the shuttle program in particular, going a long way to help our country recapture its spirit of vitality and confidence. The pioneer spirit still flourishes in America. In the future, as in the past, our freedom, independence, and national well-being will be tied to new achievements, new discoveries, and pushing back new frontiers. We must look aggressively to the future by demonstrating the potential of the shuttle and establishing a more permanent presence in space. Even when ratified, the INF Treaty will not totally eliminate the nuclear threat to Eurasia. The vast nuclear arsenal possessed by the USSR and the variety of delivery systems available still present a significant threat. The organization of fail-safe inspection machinery could well be ritualized in a manner similar to that of established military processes. Inspection teams might be very like armies, and their technical equipment might be very like weapons. Inflating the inspection budget, in other words, what they want to do is they want to expand this. So what do we have? The INF Treaty, uh, where it says inspection machinery could well be ritualized, according to Iron Mountain. Inspection teams might be very uh, like very armies, and that's exactly what has happened. We have a great ritual of disarmament. It's very interesting what you find when you start digging into the INF treaty hearings. Uh, limited test ban, 
let's take a look at all the treaties. Limited test ban, 1963. Non-proliferation, 1968. The ABM Treaty, 1972. The SALT-1, the SALT-2, the IMF Treaty. Very long, drawn-out process. And this is exactly what Iron Mountain recommended be done. It is uh, one of the most important elements of the INF Treaty is the President establishes in this area operating on-site inspection. One layer of the regime, it says on the last sentence, builds upon another. And it, the whole thing becomes elongated, and it actually becomes a monster in and of itself. The data exchanges required are really immense, and so it requires an elaborate governmental uh, system in order to accommodate all of this. And so Iron Mountain recommendation number two has definitely been implemented. The second one is the universal health care was a recommendation of Iron Mountain. Universal health care for all. It's an economic substitute for the war economy. It's very interesting how all of this works. Health, drastic expansion of medical research, education, and training facilities, hospital and clinic construction, the general objective of complete government guaranteed health care for all. That's exactly what Clinton has introduced to the American people. He announced a universal health care and mandatory insurance program. And so they're putting everything in place exactly as Iron Mountain told them to do. It's universal, and you cannot exempt yourself from it, and it is causing a lot of trouble uh, around the nation. But the arguments are not going to be on that basis. What is going to happen is we're going to be issued eventually a global identification card, and that is the purpose of this whole thing. The medical card has only one purpose. That's to get the foot in the door for the MARC system. Iron Mountain's third recommendation is being implemented. Iron Mountain economic substitute number four, a new educational system to bring in globalism. Under the United Nations, UNESCO, Congressional Record, The Great Conspiracy to Destroy the United States, Education for Freedom and World Understanding. You see, all of this is designed to bring us into a world system, a global system, under the control of the United Nations. The second manifesto of the U.S. Office of Education, the implementation of the program of surrender through education. In other words, they destroy Americans' uh, national pride and put us under the United Nations. And the NEA uh, is leading in this. They even say it themselves, teaching about globalism and the world system. They say enduring peace cannot be attained until the nation states surrender to a world organization. This was found out during the Reese Committee hearings in Congress. Uh, putting the evidence together, we conclude the NEA has been an important element in the tax-exempt world to indoctrinate American youth with internationalism, which is synonymous with uh, a lot of uh, communist, uh, luminist, whatever you want to call it. The Iron Mountain agenda is being carried out. Outcome-based education, 
the developing of leaders for restructuring the schools, change agents. Parents are beginning to get upset, but they are not putting it together. America 2000, a national strategy, strategy to change every nation, every family. Uh, everything is going down exactly as Iron Mountain said it should. Uh, global education is nothing more than the promotion of the United Nations and to destroy the Constitution of the United States to bring us out from the Constitution and to merge us into the UN. That's what they're going to do, to improve learning and teaching by providing a national framework for educational reform, to promote research, consensus building, and systematic changes needed to ensure, you see, everything has to be changed. Guess where the changes all lead to? And guess who's behind it? If you look, Robert Mueller, former UN Secretary General to the UN, member of the Planetary Citizens, wrote the Global Core Curriculum, Marilyn Ferguson, the Aquarian Conspiracy, New Age. This is all being integrated into the educational system of America. And it's called America 2000. And it is extremely subversive. The national and international power play for education. It's going to go through because God has decreed it will go through. And UNESCO is behind it. Gorbachev, we parted with the old world, rejecting it once and for all. We are moving towards a new world, the world of communism. We shall never depart from it. Books are on the market explaining all of this. We don't have time in this video to get into it. But Iron Mountain Recommendation 4 is being implemented. Iron Mountain Sociological Substitute for War, Slavery. Another possible surrogate for the control of potential enemies of society is the reintroduction in some form consistent with modern technology and political processes of slavery. For the control of potential enemies of a society, Anyone that does not agree with the new world order is an enemy of society and is therefore subject to slavery. Detention centers and concentration camps, work camps, are associated with forced labor, which is in reality slavery. Seizure under the executive orders of all civilians and work brigades, that's forced labor, that's slavery, which includes the rights to split up families. There are... Uh, concentration camps, detention centers all over the United States set up under FEMA, under Rex 84, and there are presently, to the last count we had, 130 such facilities in the United States of America. In Arizona, you'll see, uh, for example, some there. Uh, we've got one here in Wisconsin. Concentration camps for U.S. citizens, uh, the MJTF police, to conduct house-and-house -house search and seizure and separation and categorization of men, women, and children and babies, categorization and transfer to detention facilities and the running of detention facilities. Iron Mountain Slavery recommendation number two is, is mandatory service, a form of universal service turned to some variant form of the Peace Corps or the Job Corps. 
It is entirely possible that the development of a sophisticated form of slavery may be an absolute prerequisite for social control in a world of peace. Well, this is just incredible when you really stop and look at what they're actually saying in relationship to biblical prophecies. Remember, Jesus said they're going to round you up and kill you. President Clinton has authorized boot camps for young offenders. Is this the beginning of a larger scale for social reorientation like the communists do? Uh, America 2000, the national plan that's going into our schools, requires mandatory community service. There are calls going out all the time. Bush and Clinton have called for mandatory community service for all youth. Up to, say, two years, mandatory service. You can serve in the service or some uh, other place, but you are going to serve. So the substitute for war is being implemented. Iron Mountain Sociological Substitute for War number two is called Blood Games. Game theorists have suggested in other contexts the development of blood games for the effective control of individual aggressive impulses. More realistically, such a ritual might be socialized in the manner of the Spanish Inquisition and the less formal witch trials of other periods for the purposes of social purification, state security, or other rationale both acceptable and credible to post-war societies. Inquisitions, witch trials, for the purpose of social purification, state security, which is the key one, such a ritual might be socialized. In other words, they make it into a big social event, like the Inquisitions were. We saw part of that beginning to unravel when we watched the Branch Davidian invasion and subsequent massacre of David Koresh and his group. A lot went down at Waco that very few Christians understand. David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, were demonized by the national media, first of all. They were tried, judged, and executed in a social ritual in total violation of every right guaranteed under state and federal constitutions. The Waco massacre followed all points of ritualized killing. They were a cult. It was for social purification, and therefore they deserved what they got. Their compound was raided by federal assault groups when, in fact, there was no evidence of any crime having been committed. Yesterday's action ended in a horrible human tragedy. Mr. Koresh's response to the demands for his surrender by federal agents was to destroy himself and murder the children who were his captives, as well as all the other people who were there who did not survive. He killed those he controlled and he bears ultimate responsibility for the carnage that ensued. ...in the papers before I was going to go to court. Uh, they call me the white supremacist and all that. 
demonization that we that we all are victims of. When the federal government decides it is going to prosecute somebody, they sort of demonize them. Again to ring out. Do you want to uh, do you want to give your uh, federal agents that um, leeway to just say when they kill American citizens that things just they just went wrong. We just have a mother here dead. We have a little boy dead, and it just things went wrong. agents that they had been ordered to kill the weavers regardless of any threat family members posed to government personnel. Now, I want you to think about how serious that is. What was the charge against Vicki Weaver? What crime against the state had she committed that warranted her execution by the federal government? Indeed, she was not charged with any crime whatsoever, yet the U.S. government ordered her shot on sight. A virtual uh, killing, and it was murder in the first degree. It is cold-blooded, ritualistic, social purification because the Weaver is held a viewpoint not politically correct. The Weaver case, along with the Branch Davidians, proves we are in the middle of the final battle for the Constitution of the United States. There are many, many enemies within America that want to get rid of our Constitution and destroy our rights. The war has now shifted from a paper and legal war to an overt shooting war, and we feel it's going to get far worse. Uh, they came against this thing to see what the reaction of the American people would be, and they found out that the American people cheered them on. So we are ready for a complete takeover. A spotlight put out a small publication on FEMA in case of emergency. Uh, executive orders, Blueprint for Dictatorship, also is one of their publications. Now, an executive order is issued by the President of the United States. It does not go through the Senate or the Congress. He merely issues it. It's put in a federal register, and within 30 days it has full effect of law, and nobody passes upon it. Now, that's fine, and he has some rights to do that, but not contrary to the Constitution of the United States. FEMA uh, developed national security emergency plans for the regulation of immigration, nationals of enemy countries, plans to implement laws for the control of persons entering or leaving the United States, uh, develop intergovernmental and interagency law enforcement plans and counterterrorism programs, to interdict and respond to terrorism incidents in the United States that may result in a national security emergency. To interdict and respond to terrorism incidents in the United States. Now, this is a key that they're beginning to use. Under the new Crime Control Act, particularly under the Crime Control Bill Number 8, which is now before the Congress, a protester can be charged with terrorism. And this paves the way for the government to declare all those who oppose the new world order as terrorists and therefore imprison them because you will be a political dissenter. 
to develop law enforcement plans to respond to civil disturbances. These people know perfectly well there's going to be major disturbance when this thing finally comes in. So they, they want all bases covered by law. So that's their rationale. It'll, they will legally be able to do this. You don't think it's going to happen. This is exactly uh, the executive order issued by George Bush to quell the Los Angeles riots. L.A. went under martial law. Very few people understand what that means, but it means, in essence, that the Constitution in Los Angeles was totally suspended. And it says in there that units and members of the armed forces of the United States and federal law enforcement officers will be used to suppress the violence. In other words, it's they're federalizing everything, and that's what happens under martial law, and to restore law and orders. They can also call up members of the National Guard. That's a key point. They're militarizing the nation. They're putting it under military law. If Americans do not want the new world order and they resist, America will go under immediate martial law rather than through the staged program into a martial law system, which is what the UN is. Also included to coordinate all federal agencies assisting in the suppression of violence and the administration of justice. Martial law suspends the Constitution of the United States. The UN is to be brought up to full power, and it will rule through martial law via a three-tier military martial law system. The first one we're going to actually look at is called FinCEN. And uh, FinCEN, from the data we can get, it's not only a financial uh, controlling sector, but it has to do with uh, other things. Their equipment is black, and there are reports of a multitude of black helicopters all over the United States. We get calls on it virtually every day from someone who's just had them flying over the house. The FAA says that the black paint schemes are used on helicopters by the Drug Enforcement Agency and the U.S. Army Special Operations. Here is a map of FinCEN locations in the United States, and these are confirmed, they claim. Uh, we have not been able to verify it. We're bringing this to you strictly unverified for troop deployment locations in the United States of America. Uh, there's been a, a fairly consistent reporting in Montana of UN combat uh, groups. Uh, they are in reality the top tier in the UN system and entrance to the U.S. was by presidential executive order uh, 11-1190 signed by President Bush and uh, there are many uh, battle group locations and there are many multi-jurisdictional task force police which are the third tier or the lowest on the UN police force and it is in reality from what we can gather is the federalization of the police forces in America and putting them in reality under the United Nations command 
which we go under. That would be for the detention centers, uh, concentration camps for dissenters are part of this overall system for the roundup of people. Now, one of the largest ones is in Alaska. The Alaskan camp is the biggest, being over one million acres, and it's located just outside of Fairbanks, according to reports, and is serviced by a spur line called the Alaskan Railroad. That's very interesting because under the emergency orders, under FEMA, one of the railroads that gets activated and falls under their control is the Alaskan Railway. And so we're beginning to find out that all of this uh, goes together. The Alaskan camp was purchased under a mental health bill. And, of course, you have to understand that they are using mental health as one of their primary uh, methods of warfare. The Iron Mountain recommendations for an inquisition for social purification are also confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This is predominantly a move against Christians and Jesus Christ. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. See, that's exactly what they're doing right now. They're changing all the laws. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And in Revelation 17, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And this is actually, you're going to find out, has much to do with the United Nations. Iron Mountain substitute for war blood games has been, in effect, implemented and is being carried out. Ecological, considering the shortcomings of war as a mechanism of selective population control, it might appear that a devising substitutes for this function should be comparatively simple. In other words, war kills off some people, and so now we have to have an ecological substitute for that function, and it really boils down to total population control. Current trends in warfare, the increased strategic bombing of civilians and the greater military importance now attached to the destruction of sources of supply as opposed to purely military bases strongly suggests that a truly qualitative improvement is in the making. In other words, as we phase down the war system, there's probably going to be one great last one in their plans to really reduce the world population. There is no question but that a universal requirement that procreation be limited to the products of artificial insemination would provide a fully adequate substitute control for the population. A universal requirement that procreation be limited to products See how they treat people. Conception and embryonic growth taking place wholly under laboratory conditions would extend these controls to their logical conclusion. Now, total and complete control, this is what this means, of every human being born, they will be pre-selected genetically to be a slave to the rich men of the earth. This is the system they're setting up. They have an intermediate step, total control of conception with a variant of the pill, 
by our water supplies or certain essential foodstuffs. In other words, they intend to, when they bring in this new system, they will stop the growth of the population. They will put it into the food or the water supplies, and then they would offset it by a controlled um, substance so that it could be countermanded and the woman become pregnant. And they claim in Iron Mountain that it was already under uh, investigation and under work back in 1961. So the interpretation is the mandatory mass sterilization of the human race with them in total control of all the antidotes for it. Excess population, Iron Mountain says, is war material. As long as any society must contemplate even a remote possibility of war, it must maintain a maximum supportable population. about the Fed. They announced another round of the quantitative easing. What does that mean? It means they are going to make large asset purchases via POMO. What does that mean? It means they are going to expand their balance sheet and buy treasuries. What does that mean? It means they are going to print a ton of money. So why do they call it the quantitative easing? Why don't they just call it the printing money? Because the printing money is the last refuge of failed economic empires and banana republics, and the Fed doesn't want to admit this is their only idea. So why do they want to print the money? Because they say we have the deflation, and the deflation is very bad. What is the deflation? The deflation is when prices of the things we buy go down. Isn't that good? Doesn't it mean the people can buy more of the stuff? Yes, but the Fed said this is bad, especially during the recession. So they think that during the recession, when the people have less money to buy the stuff, it is bad that the prices go down? Yes, the Fed would rather have the inflation. So why does the Fed think we have the deflation? Because the CPI said so. But aren't the food prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the gas prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the health care costs higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't tuition prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the taxes higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the subway fares higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the stock prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the bond prices higher than a year ago? Yes. So what is deflating right now? The only thing deflating that I can see is the Fed's credibility. Did they have a lot of credibility to start with? No. Why not? Because the Fed has been wrong about every major economic development in the past 20 years. You mean they didn't see the Internet stock bubble? No. In fact, they helped fuel the Internet stock bubble. And they didn't see the housing bubble? No, in fact, they helped cause the housing bubble. And they didn't see the subprime crisis? No, in fact, they told us subprime problems were contained right before the shit hit the fan and the Lehman went bankrupt. So has the Fed ever been right about anything? Let me see if I can think of anything. Nope, nothing. Who runs the Fed? The Fed is run by the Ben Bernanke. Does the Ben Bernanke have a lot of business experience? No, the Ben Bernanke has no business experience. Does the Ben Bernanke have a lot of policy experience? 
No, the Ben Bernanke has no policy experience. Has the Ben Bernanke ever run in an election? No, the Ben Bernanke has never run in an election. So what qualifies him to run the Fed? I don't know, maybe the fact that he has a nice beard. But my plumber also has a nice beard, and I would not trust him to play God with the economy. No, although when you call the plumber to fix something that is broken, they usually fix it, not break it more. This is true, the plumber is clearly smarter than the Ben Bernanke. Well, that is why he became a plumber and not an economist. How does the Fed execute the quantitative easing? They print the money, and then they buy the treasury bonds. Do they buy the treasury bonds from the treasury department? No, they buy the treasury bonds from the Goldman Sachs. You must be shitting me. No. So let me get this straight. If I want to buy the treasury bonds with my money, I can buy them directly from the treasury. Yes. And if you want to buy the treasury bonds with your money, you can buy them from the treasury. Right. But if the Ben Bernanke wants to buy the treasury bonds using the American people's money, he does not buy them from the treasury, he buys them from the Goldman Sachs? Exactly. And does the Goldman Sachs give them a good price? Of course not, they are the Goldman Sachs, they make their living ripping up the American people. But how is the Goldman Sachs able to do this? The Fed announces what it is going to buy, and when it is going to buy, before it does the trade. So the Goldman Sachs can front run the Fed, and give them the worst possible price on the treasury bonds? Yes, exactly. And the Fed is okay with this blatant theft from the American people? Of course, otherwise, the Fed would just buy the treasury bonds directly from the treasury department. Who inside the Fed is responsible for the buying of the treasury bonds? The buying of the treasury bonds is conducted by the New York branch of the Federal Reserve. And who is in charge of the New York branch? The head of the New York branch is the William Dudley. And what did the William Dudley do before running the New York Fed? Before running the New York Fed, the William Dudley was a partner at the Goldman Sachs. So the guy in charge of the American people's money when dealing with the Goldman Sachs used to be a partner at the Goldman Sachs? Yes. And nobody has a problem with this? Apparently not. Is this an episode of The Twilight Zone? I don't think so. Are you sure? Pretty sure. So what you are telling me is that the Fed thinks prices are going down when in fact they are going up? Yep. And they think during the recession, with the high unemployment, it is better if the thing people need to buy cost more money. Correct. According to the Ben Bernanke, the inflation will create the jobs and improve the housing market. Has this ever been tried before? Yes, just last year the Fed tried the quantitative easing with $2 trillion. Did that create the jobs? No. Did it help the housing market? Not at all. Did it help anybody at all? Yes, it helped the Goldman Sachs. How much of the money are they printing now? $600 billion. So even though the first $2 trillion did not create the jobs or improve the housing market, the Fed decided to do another $600 billion anyway? Yes. Who put the Ben Bernanke in charge? The Ben Bernanke was first appointed by the President Bush, then he was reappointed by the President Obama. But wasn't the President Obama supposed to bring the change? Yes. How is putting in charge the same fool who has been wrong about everything, the change? Well, under the President Bush, the Ben Bernanke only blew up the American economy. Under the President Obama, he is working on blowing up the entire global economy. That does not sound like the change we can believe in. Definitely not. Who else supports the Ben Bernanke? Most economists around the world think the quantitative easing is very dangerous. Does anyone think it is a good idea? Yes, the people at the Goldman Sachs. Is this some kind of nightmare? No, it is very real. I want to bang my head against the wall. 
You should not do that. Why not? Because the health care is too expensive. But didn't the President Obama fix that? No, but that is the subject of a whole other video. Goodbye. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Financial survival. I'm here with Wendy Wilson from Apothecary Herbs today, as she is joining us for the first segment of the program. And Alfred Adas with James Corbett of the Corbett Report will follow for the balance of the program today. And today is Thursday, January 29th, 2015. So let's get started right away. I'm going to do the market report and. Uh, uh, we had such a drastic change in gold today. Before we get to Wendy, uh, let's do the market report. We have gold down 26.70 today at 1,257. You have silver down 1.04 at 17.02. Platinum was down 31 today at 12.23, along with palladium also down 22 at 776. So the metals. Uh, got blasted today. Um, I can only expect it was a carryover from yesterday with the Federal Reserve's uh, announcement that uh, certainly that the economy is solid, is having solid growth. Um, I'm not so sure why it didn't take it down uh, after their uh, comments yesterday, but um, the markets didn't do anything either, and the markets took off today in the paper market. So, a uh, little bit of a strange reaction today. The only other report came out today was the U.S. weekly jobless claims. They fell, but you have to remember last week was a four-day week, so uh, naturally it was going to, to drop. Uh, and they showed that the uh, they fell by 43,000 um, 
to a seasonally seasonally adjusted 265,000 during the week to Labor Day. And of course, we often look at the four-week moving average uh, for new claims. Uh, so, you know, it balances out the, those days off on the week-to-week uh, volatility. So that was down a little bit to 298,000, which really makes a little bit more sense. But certainly, again, they spin the information. So that, along with yesterday's announcement that, that we were on solid growth, probably had a little bit of impact on gold. But the fundamentals are still there. I mean, it doesn't change anything. They, they could tell us how great things are, but I can bring out uh, an armload of uh, uh, reports and stats that show that uh, the economy is not doing well, the people are not doing well, they have very little money to live on, and it's difficult for them. The wealthy certainly are getting wealthier on the people who are giving everything they have so they can no longer survive. We have an economy that uh, certainly doesn't uh, fare well for people, uh, for the middle class, and uh, for those that are not on government assistance, and uh, uh, certainly our our monetary policies and so forth uh, really don't change with our solid growth. They just continue to spend more. And so, again, we're in a a spiral that uh, uh, will have a day of reckoning. And uh, I believe, you know, when you have numbers like we see today in gold or or in the stock markets and so forth, these are all one-day wonders because the reality of everything will always come back. Uh, Reality rules, and uh, uh, the markets will do and match reality. Gold is a currency. We're having a currency war that's going on around this world and uh, certainly gold will react just based on the simple fundamentals that uh, all the world is awash in fiat currencies. And gold is the only real currency, and that is what will be sought after as we see things uh, continue to decline. So they can have their one-day wonders. They can have their glory moments. They can have all the the manipulation and the yahoos uh, uh, that the uh, elite can uh, bring to everyone, but uh, uh, hang on to your gold and silver. Buy it when it dips. Uh, don't feel bad if you bought a little bit higher price and we have this little bit of correction. No one has a crystal ball to see what prices are going to do on a day-to-day basis. And if everyone remembers what old Bob Chapman used to say, you just buy. And if you're fortunate enough to buy on the dips, you just continue to buy. You can't market time. You can't time the markets when it comes to purchasing gold and silver because we're looking at long term for gold and silver. And uh, certainly the long term is getting a little bit shorter. It's getting a little bit closer. But uh, we don't uh, we don't uh, speculate on the day-to-day basis on what the prices are doing. And with that, we're going to go with the Dow. The Dow was up 225 points. That really only came up uh, after they really started hitting gold. 17,416. The NASDAQ was up 45 at 46.83. The S&P was up 19 points at 2021, along with the 10-year yield. That's still hovering around the 1.75% at up 0.03. So um, with those low uh, yields on the 10-year, it still shows that you had a lot of people coming into uh you know, they're looking for safety. They know what's going on out there. You'd have to be insane to hold on to paper in the world that we live in today, not knowing what's going to happen from day to day. And if you're making, if you have profits, folks, I'd be taking some and putting them into something 
that's going to offset all your other paper investments. And, of course, that is gold and silver. Give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. And I'd like to say hello to Wendy Wilson. Well, hello, Melody. Thank you so much for allowing me to change the day I'm with you. Yesterday was crazy. I had to get some orders out. So thanks for allowing me to come on today. Absolutely. Um, we'll miss Al today, but uh, yes, um, we'll miss Al. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Uh, but you're going to talk about vaccines today. And just to let you know, uh, there was an article in the USA Today. Mm. I don't know if you had a chance to to hear about this. I saw this just on Natural News today. Since so you're going to be talking about vaccines, well, there was an article they published. Um, the columnist was Alex Brezow, and he says that parents who do not vaccinate their children should go to jail. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, Dr. Carley saw it, too, and she made sure everybody else saw it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think if you read most of the article, you get the gist that eventually I think they want to move to, even if you don't have kids, even if you don't personally, you want a flu shot, they'll probably you know, have some sort of legal ramification for you. So, yeah, we're going to talk about um, the jab-free future, okay? Uh, You know, because there's lots of countries, Melanie, that are balking at having their children or even themselves for employment reasons to be vaccinated. And these reports are coming uh, from the U.K. and from Australia as well as from the U.S. So parents are are making a stand. They're, They're starting to question and even refuse to comply with their government or employer-enforced vaccines, or they're looking for ways around the laws to protect the health of their families. So that that question is then, can a pharmaceutical vaccine, which are the most highly guarded treatment known to weaken your immune system, can they actually survive a free market then? I mean, you you know, why all the pressure if it's good for you, right? Well, the answer is, if they can't, well, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go to what is known as the jab-free future. And when I read that, I thought, oh, good, they're going to get rid of vaccines, but that's not what it means. They're actually going to step up the quantity, and they're also going to change the delivery system of the vaccine and give it to you without actually you ever knowing you've been vaccinated. So what this is is um, an aerosol delivery vaccine, and the idea to do this goes back uh, past 2003, uh, there was a paper, Melody, that PubMed did. They explored the idea of what they called, quote, mass immunization of populations at rapid speed, end of quote. So the scientists have uh, explored the aerosol vaccination, and they practiced these uh, delivery systems on developing countries and even disaster areas. So, you know, people are familiar with that flu nasal spray, but that's not what we're talking about because that's a one-on-one patient doctor um, aerosol spray up your nose. We're talking about uh, different kinds of sprays through the atmosphere. Now, the PubMed paper admits that thousands of people in Russia have been receiving aerosol vaccinations over a period of several years with live strains of diseases. So, And they've also taken tests aerosol sprays over South America, and they were using live measles viruses and supposedly great success. So if anybody from South America went to Disneyland recently. (laughs) Just what went through my mind, Wendy. Okay, so the aerosol vaccinations 
Uh, they've even also carried out live A strains of influenza, and according to the research, they say it's a big success. But you can't find any statistics, really, on people that were stricken ill with any diseases or any mortality rates due to this uh, aerosol vaccination delivery system. Now, um, if parents follow the CDC recommendations on vaccines when uh, they have children, a child would receive 49 doses of 14 different diseases by the age of six. If the child's ready to go off to college, they should have received, according to the CDC, 69 doses of 16 different diseases. And if the parents buy into this, getting all these vaccines, they will spend $12,000 to treat their child with vaccines. And that doesn't account for any costs that may be incurred due to vaccine side effects. Now, did you hear about the report of Dr. Paul Offit? He, um, uh, he's a doctor. He proclaimed that uh, children are, can be expected to tolerate 19,000 vaccines given at one time or a total of 100,000 vaccines by the time they're 18. Did you hear about that? Well, I heard there was something about how the, 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 these children can get these huge doses of, of so forth, but uh, I, I didn't you know, go into yeah. detail with it, yeah. Well, his his quote was uh, published in the Wire magazine. It's also his work was published in the Journal of Pediatrics. But currently, right now, children only get a total of maybe five vaccines at one time. And, of course, Dr. Offit would never subject himself to a lethal treatment because in his book, Autism, False Profits, he says this, although vaccines have probably saved more lives than any other medical intervention, they have come with a price, occasionally causing severe and even fatal side effects, end of quote. So there's a lot of mistrust in the vaccines. They, people started to mistrust vaccines back in the 70s, but it's even more evident today. But there's other countries that can uh, sue where us Americans can't sue the pharmaceuticals. Other countries can. Uh, but if anybody's injured here in the United States from a vaccine, the pharmaceuticals don't pay. It's the taxpayer who pays the, um, the, claim, the claim or the fees or the fines. So I think a lot of people are waking up to the vaccine issue, um, and, but they're not aware of the aerosol spraying scheme that they're going to go to. And they really don't care if you get aerosol sprayed with a vaccine. You've already had that vaccine in a traditional way. They don't care about you getting massive doses. And they don't really care that um, the dose you get, a child's going to get an adult dose either through this delivery system. Now, I want to mention, if I got time real quickly. Well, you know, you know they could do that on smaller. I mean, are they talking about small venues to where they would release this aerosol with the vaccines or, you know, a plane flying over and release it right. to entire populations? Yeah, I was going to get to that, but I'll answer you. The Department of Justice, under their 14.9AZ2 uh, section, says that they will use varial vector spraying with six methods, not uh, uh, well, including high-altitude release as well as water release, and also they're going to uh, they're going to throw it into insect transmis transmission spraying. So they have lots of methods of diffusing this into the atmosphere where people will breathe them in. And I'll, and I'll get to that in a minute, how that's going to affect us. But real quick, I want to mention the people of Australia. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into what's going to happen to them this year. But according to the gene technology regulator there, they have given Pax Vax, 
uh, a license to release a GMO vaccine with live bacteria, and it's a cholera bacteria. They will be uh, vaccinating people in Queensland, South Australia, and Western Australia, and Victoria with this. Of course, you know, cholera is due to a sanitation issue, but they're being told this is just to develop a vaccine for cholera. But what happens if you look at what the WHO says about it, it says cholera can kill quickly following the onset of symptoms. And they also will tell you that if you contract cholera via contamination, either through food or water, uh, and as aerosol spraying is going to be a live virus, it's going to hit food, it's going to hit water. The incubation day is five days. After that, people start to get dehydrated, and and the WHO says usually cholera outbreaks encompass 75% of the populace. So that's going to overwhelm their so-called social medicine over there, just like we have here. So I, I, it doesn't look good. And I, I, th- I think we should pray for, of course, uh, uh, any, any country that's going to be sprayed with that. We've been sprayed in California with the West Nile virus. And basically what happens there is it's called a DNA vaccine enhancement recombatant vaccine. And scientists working on that project know that the um, disease lays dormant. And when people are exposed to it and then fall under stress, especially if you've had the chickenpox, you will get shingles. They've been spraying since 2006, but in 2009, people started getting sick. They started having uh, nausea, lightheadedness, muscle aches, and back pain. So when doctors did a blood analysis on these sick people who have been exposed to the West Nile virus sprays, Uh, They found that it was a GMO version. It was also mixed with Epstein-Barr virus and also bioengineered with other viruses. And the doctors wrote and concluded that these people became ill and suffered from what is, quote, a DNA vaccination via viral nasal inhalation. So what happens is they've contracted, they make these dry powdered vaccines, and they make it so that it, it, it targets the bronchopulmonal mucosa. Within just a few breaths, you are vaccinated within a minute. And it also targets your white macrophages of your immune system and your antigen adaptive cells called dentrites in your respiratory tract. So they know what they're doing. They really do. And they're also get ready for the VMAT2 gene to be in your influenza vaccines. This is coming from the Department of Justice and the Pentagon, they have identified this gene to be the central area of the brain that is involved with or associated with religious fundamentalism. So they want to vaccinate people with this gene to get rid of, quote, uh, religious associations that cause problems. All right, there you go. (laughs) Well, you know, Bill Gates stated that we can, you know, his statement was, that uh, they can combat global warming with population reducement via vaccinations. Yeah, well, I don't tell a lot of people something. Their red flags should be going up all over the place. I don't know why people tolerate this stuff. And even Dr. Anthony Morris said in 76, it's all a hoax. And he worked for the FDA's uh, vaccine program, and he got fired for it. But anyway, there's no scientific evidence that supports any benefits, and he came out and said that on the Phil Donahue show in 1976. Uh, unbelievable. Wendy, give us some information. We're out of sure. time. I know. Uh, the PowerHerbs.com is the website if you'd like to check us out. Of course, you can call toll-free for a free product catalog. Of course, 
heavenly protection from your herbs, folks. 866-229-3663. 866-229-3663. Thanks, Melody. Thank you. We'll see you next week. We'll talk to you next week. And, folks, uh, Alfred Adosk and James Corbett will be here right after these short breaks. Thank you. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. And this is Financial Survival brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188.
Our guest this evening is James Corbett. He's supposed to be our guest. The producer has not yet told me if Mr. Corbett is or is not yet here. I'd really like to know. James, are you here? I'm here. I'm here. All right, good. Good. That takes <laughs> it, uh, the, our producer. He's got this thing about taking the wings off of flies. You understand? He likes to torment little, little creatures and radio hosts. Where we don't know. I don't know. Am I going to have a guest? Not going to have a guest. I'm sure he gets a large. He, he's much, much amused by this. I'm not necessarily all that. I don't find it all that funny. But James Corbett is the is the uh, mind behind the Corbett Report. C O R B E T T Report. Uh, dot com. He's been publishing that website. And articles on there since 2007 as an analysis, as an independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Also, editorial writer of the International Forecaster, weekly e newsletter created by the recently deceased Bob Chapman. And although he's usually here for our. Uh, for, for an interview each week, you're not going to be here for two weeks coming up. And it's my understanding that's because at least one of these, Jeff Berwick is having a something called the dollar of the of the dollar vigilante, and uh, he's having anarch anarch the first international anarchist anarcho capitalist conference of its type, which will be held in Acapulco, Mexico, February 24th, March 1st. 2015, with speakers including Luke Rodowski, Dan Dix, Roger Ver, Cody Wilson, and James Corbett. So we're going, or you're going, to the Anarchapulco meeting in Acapulco. And my question is to you first, are you an anarchist, a uh, anarcho-capitalist? How do you fit in, and how do you define anarchist? Good question. Well, first of all, I should clarify, I won't be here next week because of family commitments, and uh, this Anarchopoco will be at the end of February, so I'll be missing that uh, edition of this radio broadcast as well. But yes, uh, the question is a good one because this, these terms are so loaded with people's preconceptions and misconceptions that yeah. I think they can be very off-putting for people. So the way that I would define myself politically, I don't tend to use the word anarchist as a self-definition because, uh, because of those preconceptions that I talk about. And obviously there's now over a century of basically the idea of bomb-wielding, bearded terrorists uh, being associated with that word. That is far from what I would uh, place myself in. And, of course, the anarchist tradition is really a tradition of the left, the radical far left, in fact, almost a, a really a socialist tradition, um, which I don't really uh, associate myself with either. So I, I understand. I mean, a lot of people who call themselves anarchists absolutely despise anarcho-capitalism and think that's not anarchism. And I don't want to get into those types of disputes because I think that places all of the emphasis in the wrong place. Basically, all anarchism means is without rulers, uh, i.e., people who do not believe that there should be that there are a special class of people who have, by virtue of whatever magic process is uh, is taken uh, takes place in society, whether that be the royal divine right of kings or whether that be some sort of magic vote or however it uh, it is bestowed on someone that they have some rights that the average person does not have. So um, that's that's the the sort of idea behind anarchism in general, but that doesn't say a lot about the specific 
type or emphasis of the anarchism in question. I, I think there are a lot of different types of anarchism, individualist anarchism and, uh, and, uh, and uh, socialist anarchism and anarcho-capitalism and all sorts of other types. Basically, the way I would define myself politically is uh, I would say I'm a voluntarist, and that places the emphasis on the fundamental ethical principle that I think underlies all of this, which is that I believe that no one has a right to come in and interfere and interact with uh, a consenting uh, uh, agreement between two adults who uh, freely, uh, freely contract with each other in the free and open marketplace. And basically what that means is that no one can initiate violence against someone who is acting peacefully, whether that be a man wearing a, a shiny badge and a, and a fancy hat or any other type of person claiming to have some sort of magic authority that, uh, that allows them to come in and initiate violence against peaceful people. And, uh, and so the, the, the fundamental underlying concept here is not really a political one so much as it is a moral one. And it's really as simple as the moral that, morals that we learn in kindergarten. Uh, don't steal what other 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 people's possessions, and uh, don't hit other people, you know, out of rage or whatever. Uh, and and that's pretty much it. And and from that principle, but as a, a practical of, matter, I, I'm pretty sure I can remember uh, some of the kids stealing my milk or graham crackers back when I was in kindergarten. And even though we were taught not to do that, you're talking about some pretty well established tendencies within our species. I mean, for every anarchist out there saying, oh, you can't legally push us around, there's at least one Nazi who says, oh, yes, we can. How do you resolve? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I don't dispute that at all. Yeah. I, I certainly don't think of this as a utopian philosophy. I think of it as a very pragmatic one because the uh, I understand completely what you're saying. There will always be people in society who do aggress and do initiate violence. And uh, and and so the the outcome of that for most people is well then we need a state to stop those people from doing that, and to me that is kind of mind-boggling because it assumes a number of things. I mean, first of all, it assumes that somehow from the pool of people that we know and we admit and we all agree are inherently, in some way or other, all of us are inclined at some point or other to be an aggressor and to to break those types of moral and ethical principles that at least most of us try to live up to, but no no one of us is perfect. No one out there has, has lived a perfect life. So, uh, so uh, from that pool of people, we're somehow going to select people who are going to enforce these actions and give them special powers to uh, enforce these actions as if they're going to use those, act, uh, those, uh, those powers in a good way, which I think is a bit of a contradiction. Also, Absolutely. I mean, the idea that we're going to stop people from initiating violence by giving people the power to initiate violence, again, seems like a contradiction to me. So I, I think that this is just the most pragmatic way of dealing with the question of what do you do with the corruption that inevitably comes with power? And I think that's the real, uh, the, the Pollyanna-ish aspect of all of this, is the people who believe that somehow there is some way of instituting that fundamental violence and force in society that is the stick of government without having it be corrupted. And I think the closest or, or the, the, the most noble expression of that idea of, of human freedom that has been attempted, politically speaking, occurred in the United States in the late 18th century or what I agree in the United that. States. That was, that was I mean, there, there were some of the smartest people in the world uh, and some of the greatest political philosophers of human history seriously dedicating themselves to the question of how do you create a society based on 
fundamental human freedom and, and virtue and liberty. And, of course, from the very outset, from the very beginning, it was flawed. It was a good attempt, and there was some nice rhetoric, but it was flawed. It was, and it, it, whatever you want to say about it, it inevitably became what it has become now, which is not, absolutely not a, a place of, of that same expression of human freedom and, and virtue. Do you think that expression can be regained? Do you think not politically? No. You don't think it can really be regained politically? No, I, 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 that's you see, that's where the the fundamental point for me in all of this is that is that the solution to all of this is not going to be a political solution, and it's I think it's our tendency to look for political solution, which is the most insidious problem with all of this because yeah, no, again, we're whether for, you're daddy, daddy, kiss my boo boos. And uh, fix this problem. Go fight with Timmy's dad and beat him up because Timmy gave me a hard time. Right. Well, it, for it's somebody even, to it's even worse. For yeah, it's even worse than that because it's not just – because there's, there's the daddy government idea that we're, we're going to have the big, strong government to tell people what to do and to, to force the, you know, the rules on people. Or there's going to be mummy government to come and kiss the boo-boos and make everything better. And so you can be caught up in that system of arguing, well, do I want a daddy government or do I want a mommy government? And that can cons- and does usually consume people their entire lives, and they get to choose a side and, and advocate for that side and get lost in the left-right, blue-red kind of thing. And not realize fundamentally that there are other ways of conceptualizing how we can organize ourselves as a society rather than looking for a daddy or a mommy government. So your your argument is, or your at least ideal, is the answer, do you want a mommy government, do you want a daddy government? The answer is none of the above. We'd like, like some other up. arrangement because either way, it turns into something unfortunate. It gets too big. Is government just bad because of its size? Is the idea of government inherently bad, or is it bad because government they want to grow all the time, and they get bigger and bigger, and they become as a function of magnitude? Not necessarily government, but its magnitude, or is it the government itself that's I, I Yeah, I sympathize with the minarchist position, and, and I guess pragmatically speaking, I think minarchism is a way of starting to dismantle at least the barriers in people's minds to this idea that we need government for any possible problem in society. I mean, we have to confront yeah, that before we even start thinking about the idea of removing government. So I think, yes, I, I'm certainly sympathetic to the minarchist idea, but fundamentally... And when you say minarchist, you're not saying anarchist, you're saying minarchist, and I assume you mean minimum government. Yes, I'm sorry, I should true? make that clear. Yes, minarchism is basically the idea that we just need a government for just protection of our basic rights, so sort of the Bill of Rights kind of concept, and, and just the absolute minimum government that's needed to protect everyone's property rights and make sure you know, that bad people go to jail or something of that nature, just the sort of minimum government that's needed. However, I think that was kind of the embodying ethos of a lot of the people in the beginning of, of the U.S., uh, not all of them, of course, but a lot of the, the, the spirit behind it was that, and it became the most one of the most tyrannical monstrosities that has uh, ever plagued the world with the uh, the Pax Americana and NATO and all of this police state tyranny that's going on under Obama and his cohorts uh, on the left and right over the past several decades. So I, I again I think that there's there I think we have to look deeper than just the question of trying to to minimize government because that has never worked in history at any rate whether or not it's even theoretically possible. Well, I'm not. I'm not an anarchist or a minarchist. I'm a pogoist, 
which means I subscribe to the philosophy, we have met the enemy and they are us. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an article that was, what, the Washington Times. Exclusive, secret tapes undermine Hillary Clinton on Libyan war. And the top first paragraph is top Pentagon officials and, and a senior Democrat in Congress so distrusted Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton's 2011 march to war in Libya that they opened their own diplomatic channels with Gaddafi, with the Gaddafi regime, in an effort to halt the escalating crisis. This is according to a secret audio recording recovered from Tripoli just in the last little while. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this or this strikes you as, as, as important, but we have, if this is a true story, and again, this is in the Washington Times, this should be, this, this is a credible story. If the military and one government and, and one Democrat in Congress have worked to open up their own diplomatic channels, the Gaddafi regime, to try to stop the, the Libyan, the, the assault on Libya back a couple of years ago, what do we actually have for government right now? If they're not, if they don't distrust Hillary, uh, the Secretary of State, and they can set up their own channels, do we have anything like a monolithic government, or is this just a free-for-all where anyone who's in something like a position of power can do whatever moves him on any given day? Well, thank you for bringing this story to my attention. I hadn't seen it yet. So this is, this is an interesting little piece of that puzzle. And I think that this type of story is very helpful for the general public that does tend to think of government as a monolithic entity, mm-hmm. whereas in reality, and in specifically in the American context, I mean, it's a million people um, that range all over the map in all sorts of different departments and different bureauc- bureaucratic nests that have different agendas and different ideas and are sometimes working in concert and sometimes working against each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's important to have that, that understanding that these types of things go on, even behind the, the Secretary of State's back, secret diplomatic channels are opened. Um, we saw recently a report come out about the secret diplomatic channels that are, are being, or that have been opened or were attempted to be opened. It's not clear which between uh, the U.S. and Russia, by which they were trying to get Henry Kissinger to call up his old friend Putin to try to establish some some secret diplomatic channels. These types of things go on all the time in various ways in different administrations. And I think it is, as you say, it's important for us to understand this uh, and not as a monolithic entity, but as this kind of multivariate system of competing interests or sometimes colliding or, or even in concert interests that, uh, that are working in, in different ways. And uh, this, I mean, again, this, this has huge implications for, uh, for, I mean, for, for every level of... Because this uh, isn't just a question of we, okay, I'm going to say President Obama is going to set up some secret diplomatic channels to deal with Gaddafi, for example. We've got Secretary of State Hill, uh, Clinton. She's doing one thing that's out in the open that the public can see. Other, other parts of the government are doing something in secret. That's not a surprise. But when we see other parts of the government operating contrary, we're not just talking about having secret channels that are both they're playing both ends against the middle. We're talking about a secret channel that is working contrary to the Secretary of State. You see what I'm saying? Well, there's antagonism here. There's not merely, you know, a multiplicity. There's antagonism, and what does that all mean? 
Well, I, again, I think this is an interesting window into potentially even much more important stories, like the one that kind of flitted across the news radar and was, was flirted with, but not really brought to the attention of the public, uh, uh, talking about a, a loose nuke scenario that was talked about and reported on by the alternative media a year and a half ago. And there was bits and pieces that were coming out in the establishment media. But basically, uh, I can't remember the details of which base. I think they were located somewhere down in Texas. The nukes were supposedly in Texas, and they were allegedly shipped to the East Coast. Right. For yeah. reasons that were unclear and never verified. But we can talk more about that in a moment. We're going to break for some commercial announcements. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett on the financial survival. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, it has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addis here in Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. My guest is James Corbett, who's calling in from Japan. Uh, and we will get on with, uh, let's try this. Here's an article from Prophecy News Watch. And the headline is, Obama Army deploys to Tel Aviv to topple Netanyahu. Now they're talking about the military, but they say a consulting firm 
almost entirely composed of former staffers of President Obama's re-election campaign, has been hired to run an election effort in Israel aimed at defeating Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, this strikes me as interesting politics. I mean, why doesn't Netanyahu and Obama just settle this in the ring, get it out of the... Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it does seem like that, doesn't it? And, And yes, I mean, I think this is something that we've all seen playing out in the headlines in various ways over the last few years, the big rift between Obama and Netanyahu. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, does it actually affect U.S. relations with Israel? And I'm not sure that it really does. I mean, we saw certainly the uh, the absolute support for um, the operations in in Gaza last you know last July, last August. So um, so I don't think it's actually changed anything in that regard politically. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's political machinations to get out a certain member of the Likudniks or whatever out of power and someone who would be more cooperative with the Obama. And I forget what the latest was. Some some sort of uh I guess Netanyahu wants to speak in front of Congress, but he forgot yeah. to even mention that to uh to the Obama administration. So Yeah, the Congress invited him without even considering what uh you know, what the president president found out about it, I guess, literally through the news media. Who knows? Maybe he's listening to alternative media so we maybe <laughs> so he may be able to learn what's really going on in this country. I'm not sure. Uh, I was just curious if you had any comment. What do you think is going to happen? Is is the Israeli-U.S. political relationship, is it badly damaged, is it fragile right now, or is this just a spat that you see between husbands and wives from time to time? Yeah, I really don't see this as anything more than um, maybe not window dressing per se. There may be real differences here and a real clash between Obama and Netanyahu. But again, I don't think it actually changes un- fundamental underlying foreign policy here. I don't see anything driving any uh, any wedge between the U.S. and Israel fundamentally in terms of their foreign policy goals in the Middle East. It never has been, and I don't imagine it ever will until the fall of, uh, I don't know, Israel or the United States or some something fundamental. Or if either, well, if the United States goes down, I would say Israel won't be too far behind. Mm. If Israel goes down, I don't know, we'll still be here, I assume. But even so, both both nations are, you know, the entire West is in, in a certain amount of trouble here. Well, in that, I mean, in that regard, specifically talking about those foreign policy considerations, I mean, I think that the death of King Abdullah is going to be interesting. I, again, I'm not expecting a title change per se in in the direction that things are heading, but given that we're already on this type of realignment that's going on, that sees Saudis a sort of U.S. Saudi if not a rift per se, at least a somewhat distancing, and we'll have to see how that starts to play out. But of course, that of course directly pertains to the U.S.-Israel relationship as well, and sort of the entire shaping of the, the Middle East. So, uh, so some some at least potential for some pretty tectonic moves are taking place right now. Yeah, we've got a new prime minister. I'm not sure what they call the leader for uh, Saudi Arabia, but the former head he passed on I'm going to guess that the replacement will come in and kind of sit on his hands for 60 days or so before he starts to implement his own policy but I'm wondering whether or not he's going to change policy in terms of how much oil is being produced is the, I mean, the early indications are uh, from what's being reported that there will be no change and that's what mm-hmm. they're saying but 
I've also seen some sort of indication that there's going to be high-level meetings um, between Saudi Arabia and Russia and some other partners talking about oil prices. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what this means. Uh, this is something that, in fact, I'm researching right now for this weekend's forecast, or I'm going to be writing an editorial specifically about all of this. But uh, yeah, as I say, it will be interesting to see because, again, this at least presents a, uh, a an inflection point that could be a turning point in U.S.-Saudi relations or could be seen as that in from some future vantage point. And I'm not sure that will be apparent right away, but it will at least give the Saudis a sort of proximate excuse for ramping up this uh, this growing distancing that they've been doing with uh, the U.S. in the last few years. Well, my understanding of the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States is that the United States essentially guaranteed Saudi security starting about 1971-72 in that area in return for the Saudis guaranteeing to sell their crude oil only for U.S. dollars. Now, the question is, does the United States still have enough muscle to protect Saudi Arabia? Does Saudi Arabia still trust the United States to provide that security, or are they beginning to realize, wait a second, we've got to start taking care of ourselves? And do you agree with that analysis? Is that what's happening, or is it something other than that? Well, I, I, that's obviously the backbone of it. I mean, you're talking about the petrodollar um, mm -hmm. alliance that was created in the 70s and that has been the backbone of, of the dollar since the uh, the D decoupling from gold in, in the closing of the gold window in, uh, under Nick, uh, Nixon. So, yes, I mean, this is the backbone of the world economy that we're talking about, really. And, again, there's so that's many... That's true. You know, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a fact. This really is the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Because it created the petrodollar, it becomes the cornerstone of the modern world government setup. And if something happens to that relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, a lot of things are going to start to shake, rattle, and roll. Well, that's it. I mean, we had bread and woods from the end of the Second World War until the petrodollar era, and now we're in the petrodollar era. And we keep hearing talk about a bread and woods too and kind of a new arrangement for, for uh, global currency. But until that point, at any rate, we have this petrodollar, which is kind of still in place, but it's it's more and more tenuous. I mean, there's yeah. more and more cracks that are forming. And, and again, I, I mean, the question is not just one of regional security, although obviously that's, that's part of it. But as, as we've seen, I mean, startlingly so in the last few months, this has incredible shockwaves that will be felt across the world geopolitically and economically. And, uh, and uh, again, it's, it's just such an interesting inflection point given what's happening with the oil price right now and the manipulation to, to keep it down, uh, coupled with, I think, a very real deflationary undertow in, in the global economy. And, uh, and that's all combining to, to seem to be coming to some sort of head. And uh, again, I don't want to call timeframes and things of that nature, but I mean, I, I just, I can't envision how the, the, the confluence of the death of King Abdullah, this oil manipulation, the deflation that we see going on, the, the newly announced euro trillion, 1.1 trillion euros they're going to be printing out of nothing. All of this coming together at this time just seems like we are heading towards some very, very large changes on the geopolitical chessboard in the near future. And uh, that's not always, and that's not going to be pleasant, I'm sure, but it will be uh, interesting to watch. I've got an article from CNBC. The headline is, Everyone is, share, is Scared, Nobel Prize winner Schiller. 
We're talking about Robert Schiller. He won, he won the uh, Nobel Prize uh, for Economics in 2013. He says, the human race has deep underlying fears about technology and the lives their children will lead, and this can be seen in all places, in negative in all but in the negative yields of bond markets, and this is according to Schiller. He says, I think fears have been growing for years that represent the willingness of people to bid up bond prices. And he goes back, he has another paragraph down below here. He says, there's this increasing fear of technology, information technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printers, the Internet, and all these different forms, he said. The technology, technology he added, seems to be changing life in such a fundamental way. And what it's leaving people thinking is, where will I be in 30 years? Look how fast everything is changing now. Where will my children be? I want to leave something for them because they could be in terrible straits. And it's interesting to me that Mr. Schiller is not saying, well, there's some, or there's some crazy people on the right wing or wherever who are getting a little paranoid. He's saying, no, the world is in this state of fear from his perspective. Do you think he's exaggerating the problem, and, or, is, or is, he, is he fundamentally accurate? I don't think it's an exaggeration. I think there is the fear, and it's not a baseless fear. It has very, very real roots in the real world that's going on right now. I mean, people might have seen this week that apparently Apple is, you know, the, the savior of the American economy or something because they've just posted the biggest quarterly profit of all time. And, uh, and this is supposed to be some sign of the, I guess, resurgent American economy. I don't know, um, as if we're going to feed ourselves with iPhone apps or something like that. But, um, but I mean, look at the flip side of that. At the exact same time that Apple is announcing the biggest profit in history because iPhone 6 was such a uh, runaway success, the Apple supplier, Foxconn, which has been under a microscope for the last few years as, as uh, a place where they put up the suicide netting to uh, stop the workers from throwing themselves off a roof because they're basically slave labor, labor and stuff like that. They, they have just announced that they're going to be drastically uh, cutting back their workforce because they, of a, uh, a, a declining revenue growth and rising wages in China. And what are they going to be replacing it with? They're going to robot. be using more robots, yeah, robotic yep. arms to complete mundane tasks. So, uh, so, I mean, this isn't something that people should be thinking fearing in an abstract sense. I mean, it is something that affects people's lives. This is lives. real, and it's here now. And exactly. I mean, and I've seen it in my life. I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm, I'm 35, and I've seen the huge fundamental underlying changes in the economy in my lifetime, let alone people who are, you know, decades more seasoned than I. I'm not implicating you in anything there. No, but don't I, worry about it. But I've got two years for every one of yours, and I guarantee you it's, it's one of those things you sit back, and if you do think about it, it's like, Holy cow. I look at movies sometimes that were made back about the time I was born. They they have more in common with the Wild West, the 1800s, than they do with today. The kind of technology changes and one thing, and it's, you look at it and say, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? What is going to happen? There are companies that want to move back from they, they, they left this, you know, the industries that left the United States, moved to China, for example. A number of them want to come back now. But when they come back, they're not going to bring the jobs that they took with them. They're going to come back with robots, and they're not going to revive. What are we going to do with the labor force in this country in a world where robots become increasingly common? 
Well, firstly, just on that note of perspective, which really, I mean, the one that really hit home for me was uh, the idea that we are now as far from the time in which Back to the Future was released as Back to the Future was from the 1950s that they was portraying, which was one of those moments that made me think well, back to my childhood. Oh, wow. But um, but yes, I mean, that is so important to, to keep in mind just just how far removed we are from, from that world that, uh, that we grew up in. And as someone who li- literally works as a, a podcaster, which was a concept I was completely unfamiliar with literally a decade ago, let alone mm-hmm. even imagined that I would be doing for a full-time living. I mean, it's, it is a strange world that we're entering, and there, there really is an acceleration to this. I mean, of course, people have gone through massive changes in the past, but there is an acceleration to the rate of change itself, which has been talked about before. And, of course, Ray Kurzweil and others point to this as the singularity. We're heading to this, this point at which the technology will be cha- changing faster than we can even keep up with it as human beings. And but some of us have a chance to keep up with it. I, at least for a while, you're an intelligent man. A lot of the threats that we perceive right now are not going to affect highly intelligent individuals, at least not immediately and en masse. But what are you going to do for people who really don't have the intelligence or education to do much more than dig ditches and, and, and sweep floors? They're going to be replaced. I mean, there's not going to be work for them. What will we do? Well, this is where I think the, uh, the the depopulation agenda of so many of the uh-huh. people who have been in positions of power for so long comes into play because I think they've uh, they've foreseen this. I mean, we had uh, Brzezinski writing about the technotronic era back in the 1970s, basically talking about the Internet before the Internet really existed in the form that it does and, and predicting all of this that was going to happen. And part, a fundamental part of that technotronic era he was writing about was control, control of populations, control of information, control of the habits of those populations and the way they are trained to think and uh, do things. And, uh, of course, the, the author of that, uh, Brzezinski, just a couple of years ago said, we are now living in a world, whereas 30 years ago it was easier to control a million people than to kill a million people. We might be living in the opposite world at this point, i.e. it's easier to kill people than control them. So, uh, unfortunately, that's where we start getting into the very, very bleak stuff of, uh, of what this really could be going in terms of the geopolitical machinations that I was talking about earlier. Well, we are just faced, we're entering a time that's not just going to be challenging on an economic basis. It's going to be challenging on a moral basis, unlike anything we've perhaps ever seen before. There are rational people that are believe that believe that the population needs of not just this country but the world needs to be dramatically diminished. And their arguments morally wrong, but rationally they're fairly solid. What are we gonna do with these people? We are all gonna be faced with these questions and how we answer them. I'm not looking forward to being even faced even being faced with the questions. Uh, and I don't think any of the rest of us are either. In any case, James, I want to thank you for being on the program. We're out of time. Um, I'll be back with James, not next week, but the following week. And be back tomorrow. In the meantime, with good Lord bless you meet James, Frank, the producer, James Corbett from the Corbett Report, CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. Take a look. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day, and pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad?
Still there never seems to be a single penny left for me.
Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Broadcast, a one-hour prophecy program on the American Voice Radio Network, featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Greetings, saints, and welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the Flint Hills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is January 29th. 
He discovered many scientific laws. God chose Isaac Newton to impart many of his deepest secrets and rules. Strong evidence has recently been discovered that God gave Newton the most mysterious secret and riddle of all time, the timing and the events of the end of the age. Well, our author for this book is a science teacher at Annapolis High School. He's a member of the New Life Christian Outreach Church in Ken Island from 1988 to the present. He has two children and three grandchildren, so he's a granddad like me. His wife's, but his wife, Cindy, died in 2009, but he has um, remarried in 2011. He's also re- written and produced music, and this guy really does have some things that just go on and on about him. He's wrote, led a pretty full life. So let's welcome him now and find out more about him and what he has to tell us about, that is, Newton's Riddle. So let's welcome Messianic uh, Jew, Neil G. Russell. Are you there with me now? I am here, Pastor Dan. I thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I just want to put a footnote. Uh, I was born, Neil Greenspan. I was born in the Bronx, New York, in 1952. Uh, I was adopted by my stepfather, and my last name was changed to Russell. Uh, but I am 100% Jewish, Pastor Dan. Well, amen. Um, yeah, amen. Uh, that's great. You know, well, I'm grafted in. So, you know, um, the, our guest that we had on our night was a blood Jew from Israel, and he was talking about the revival going on in Israel over the Rabbi Kaduri book. But I'm right. really interested in your book tonight. But first, um, how did you get saved? How did you come about getting saved anyway? Well, okay. Well, as you can say, it is about your salvation and everybody listening. God had a plan. And so I was raised in an area uh, back in the 60s that uh, I didn't go to church. Uh, my parents were agnostic. Uh, it was God that uh, captured my attention when somebody, when I started teaching back in 1972, handed me a book called, this. it was called, uh, well, let me think. Uh, it was written by a man named Hal Lindsey. I'm not sure if you ever heard of that name before. But sure. it was called The Late Great Planet Earth. Now, that was the first time that I ever even thought about opening a Bible. So I read that book, and it was talking about the Bible had prophecies in it. No one ever told me that. So that started my venture. Uh, a little later on, I started attending a Methodist church, and uh, somebody handed me a book called Something for Nothing by a man named Sid Roth. And that was the first time I ever read the term Messianic Jew. Um, well, let me break yes, in for a minute. Uh, so you read a book, and it was it was by Sid Roth. Did you not get it? Uh, go on and promote this book on Sid Roth's program. No, my book I did. Yeah, Sid got you know. You look back in your life, and you take a look at all the divine appointments that God has placed there. And Sid, if you're watching or listening tonight, I want to tell you thank you because God used you throughout my life. It was Sid Roth. Uh, Sid Roth. Um, came to a little church on Kent Island that I still attend. This is back in 1987. And there's a woman that went to the Methodist church, said, uh, the guy who's, and she's the one that handed me that book, the guy that you read about, Sid Ross, going to be at this new church that opened up. And so my wife, Cindy, uh, didn't attend church. She was raised uh, in a different faith. And I begged her, I said, Cindy, please, come to me, come to this new church and listen to this guy named Sid Roth. Well, I prayed about it, Cindy said yes, and we were sitting up front, and there was about 150 people there that night, and when they had the altar call, Cindy stood up, 
And, oh, my gosh, not only did she stand up, she started speaking in tongues, Pastor Dan, which just blew me away. Amen. So, anyhow, God used Sid Roth. Uh, We were also on his show. Uh, Right before Cindy passed away, Cindy had the opportunity to speak to the entire world. When Sid turned her, because my wife had a major miracle, Uh, she was declared back in 2007 terminal. She only had six months to live. Uh, Cindy, one day I got home from uh, school, and she told me this is December of 2006, uh, she wouldn't. I wouldn't listen to her. I was like a lot of the Christian men, okay? The wives are more spiritual than the guys are. And she said, Neil, sit down and shut up. i got something to tell you. She said, sometime next year I'm going to come close. God told me I'm going to come close to death, but I won't die. I didn't know what to say to that. Well, on um, March 11, 2007, uh, we were getting ready for church, and Cindy was really sick. And she said, Neil, I'm too sick to go. I need to go to the hospital. Well, we're all thinking it was her gallbladder. So when we went to our local hospital in Annapolis, we found it wasn't a gallbladder. It was her liver. Eighty percent of Cindy's liver was cancer. And mm-hmm. we took her to John Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic. We went everywhere, and they gave her the same uh, prognosis. She's going to die in six months. But God told her she's going to live. Cindy lived for uh, two more years, Pastor Dan. And mm-hmm. during that time... Cindy was anointed by God. She laid hands on sick people. They were healed. Um, and she got to witness on Sid Ross, Sid Sex Supernatural, when Sid turned her and said, Cindy, you shouldn't be here. You should be dead. And turn to the people now and share uh, why you're here. And she did. She shared that it's due to the fact that she gave her life to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And yeah. yes, we're here for such a time as this, and, and I, I found a wonderful wife who was my neighbor across the street. Her husband passed away, and God had a, another plan. So when we go through those dark stages in our life, we have to trust God with all of our heart, not lean upon our understanding. And God had a plan. I have a beautiful Christian wife again, and God brought us together, and we're going to be here during this time coming up, Pastor Dan, uh, for such a time as this. Amen. Let me, let, me let me break in for a minute. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I I like Sid Roth. I, why I've never been on his program. I've interviewed Sid Roth on this program, Amen. So, yeah, I do know who he is. He he's a, a good dude. I I like watching his program. I do like watching his program. But that's really miraculous about your wife, and I'm I really feel that you're really blessed because, you know, it's it's not that the father didn't send you a, a replacement, but he gave you another companion to be with because he really didn't want you to be alone. So. Um, that's that's a great blessing. That's a great blessing. So you know, how did you get interested in Isaac Newton? That's not just something normal. Most people run across, you know. Um, okay. Well, I, I, look, I'm going to take you guys, all of you, on a little venture. I'm going to go back to uh, when I started attending the New Life Christian Outreach Church, right after Sid Roth was there, and there was a woman that attended our church, and I just contacted her because she didn't know this story. God led her to give me a book back in. I believe the year is 1988 or 1989, called This Present Darkness. And I'm not sure if your listeners heard about it, but it was a book that opened my eyes to the spiritual dimension. See, here's the problem with Christians. We read the Bible. We read about all these miracles that took place 2,000 years ago. We pray to God. But we don't have that visual. We understand there's demons. We understand there's angels out there. But... I didn't have a visual until I read This Present Darkness, and it took place, it was a fictitious book that took place in a college town. 
but it gave me the visual of what happens right beyond our senses, what's happening here. I have an angel. Pastor Dan, you have an angel right in back of you, and the Bible says that God has put angels in charge over us to keep us safe in all our ways. But, you know, you don't have that visual until you actually get to see something like that. And I'm sure people in your audience can give you testimonies that they've actually experienced angelic visitations, angelic interventions. But I'm going to go on with this story. So that was back in probably 1988 or 1989. Uh, in 2005, uh, I was watching people at my school, students and teachers, reading a book called The Da Vinci Code. And they were reading it as if it was true that Jesus actually had a sexual relationship and got married. And I said, you know, there's a book I read years ago that would, if they made this into a movie, it would be probably the most popular movie out there. So I tried my best to get Mel Gibson to contact him, take some of that money from The Passion of the Christ, and turn this present darkness into a movie. I ended up talking to a man. I didn't get Mel Gibson, but I got Ted Bear, who uh, produces a Christian uh, movie guide. And he told me that uh, 20th Century Fox was going to produce the movie. Steven Spielberg was going to direct this present darkness. And this is on the Internet, so you guys can Google search this and find out for yourself, because this is what he told me, and it's true. But they wanted to strip the Christianity out of the book, and Frank Peretti uh, wouldn't allow that. And so they tabled that story. Now, this was in 2005, so I'm getting you guys caught up real fast to right now. And this was back uh, right before Christmas time, and I can't tell you, Pastor Dan, because I can't remember why, but I had a student of mine, and his name is Brian Deshaun. He's in the Marines today. And I said, Brian, I said, he was my aide. I said, Brian, I want you to do something. For the next two weeks, I don't want you doing any help for science. I want you to go find out. I have no idea. This is God. Everything about Sir Isaac Newton, but I do not want to know the science because I taught the science. So Brian handed me a manila folder, and I took it back home where we grew up in Pittsburgh, and I read that over the uh, uh, 2005 Christmas holiday, and it opened my eyes. Everything that I have recorded in Newton's Riddle okay, came from that, that two-week venture that, that Brian gathered, and the facts that are in there are in the book, and everything that I wrote down I believe right now we are watching. We're right now in a small window of time. And that's why I believe God had you put me on the show tonight, because it's a warning. What Isaac Newton discovered 300 years ago is about ready to happen. And you read about, you read a, a little blurb from Jim Bramlett. Well, I called Jim Bramlett. Jim, you're listening right now, right? So if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to read. This is right from what Jim, this is a continuation of what Jim Bramlett wrote. Okay, Yeah, and this is really great. So, Jim, you wrote this, not me. Newton was a devout believer in Christ and a Bible scholar, fluent in ancient languages, who translated directly from Hebrew to Greek. He was also unusually drawn to the prophet Daniel, which he began studying at the age of 12, everybody, now, this isn't taught in school, and he continued until he died at 85 years old. In fact, the Columbia History of the World, a secular history book, remarks, at the end of the, his days, Newton spent more time studying and writing the prophecies of the book of Daniel than he did charting the heavens. And apparently, God himself put in Newton's heart this burning desire to study Daniel. And it's the book of Daniel, not the book of Revelation. And then gave him the key to the time of Christ's return. Now, this is what Jim Bramlett wrote, guys. 
They said, if Newton was correct in his interpretation of Daniel, the prophet to whom God gave specific timing, then the return of Jesus Christ is very, very soon indeed. Newton's understanding is one key to Daniel's chapter 9. It's fundamental from the most common interpretations. In about 550 B.C., God gave the prophet Daniel a view of the entire history. Now, as you know, I mean, guys, go back and read uh, chapter 9 of Daniel. Here's what happened. Daniel, I believe, was 84 years old, okay? He was taken captive into Babylon, and he knew that the prophecies of Jeremiah, he just read the scroll, that 70 years were given for the Jews to be in captivity. And he knew that, adding up the time that he was taken captive, that the time was up. So he prayed to God. He asked God, how much longer will my people be in captivity? And God sent Gabriel. Gabriel gave him all the information, starting in chapter 9, ending in chapter 12, the entire history to the Jewish people. Now, a lot of people, Pastor Dan, take a look at that. And they're looking at that through the Western eyes, the Christian eyes. They see all this taking place to the Christians, but it's not. It was the promise to the Jews. So I'm, I'm yeah. just going to continue. So it says, from Daniel chapter 9, scholars usually add the seven weeks, okay? This is what people do. The years, or it's 49 years, and 62 years, and they add that up, and they get 483 years. And calculate the timing of Messiah's first coming. However, this is what Newton did. Newton says there is no linguistic basis for adding those two numbers, the 49 and the, four, the 434. And in doing so, okay, does violence to the language of Daniel. That, that's what Newton said. It does violence to the language of Daniel. Newton says that the two numbers are separate, and they speak to both the first coming and the second coming, both being counted from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, I'm almost done. Newton, and by the way, Jim, this is great. Newton says that 62 weeks, or 434-year part, was fulfilled with the first coming. And the seven weeks, or the 49-year part, will apply to the second coming. And three centuries ago, he saw in scriptures and wrote about the rebirth of Israel at a time when such a thought was preposterous. There was no Israel. The Jews were scattered throughout the nations at that time. Amazingly, by faith and understanding of the scriptures, he foresaw, now listen to this, everybody, Newton said this, he foresaw a friendly kingdom someday, again, issuing a command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem. Now, centuries later, that friendly kingdom may have been this, the country that we live in, okay, which decreed, and also the United Nations, that decreed the rebirth of, of Israel in November of 1960. 47, causing Israel to be reborn as a nation on May 14, 1948, fulfilling the 25-year-old prophecy of Isaiah. Shall a nation be born in one day? Now, the above was taken from the Jim Bramlett says it's my essay on Newton written in the mid-90s. Now, Jimmy wrote this in the mid-90s. He said, however, now listen to this. This is where it all changes, everybody. However, my speculation back then was wrongly assumed Wrongly assumed the 49-year count began when Israel was born in 48. At that time, we thought, we, I thought we were so close to the Lord's return, it didn't occur to me that the count should probably begin on June 7, 1967, when Israel captured Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Sid Roth, <laughs> thank you, here comes Sid, a Messianic Vision ministry promoted a new book. Guess what the name was? called Newton's Riddle, authored by a guy named Neil Russell, which contains the additional information. 
Now, guys, here's where this is the end. Sid quotes from the book where it explains Newton's calculations by adding the 49 years into June 1967. Based on Newton's riddle, the book says Messiah's possible return will be on or before. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, Jim, this is the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. The beginning of Daniel's 70th week, and I'm going to put that footnote, will be on or before the year 2016. Okay? That's it. Now, again, it says, I point out in my email, February 2008, if you use the exact 49 Jewish uh, days, the 360 prophetic days of years, from the day Israel captured the Temple Mount, you get 49 times 360, which is 17,640 days, which amazingly takes one to exactly September 23rd, 2015, the Day of Atonement. Now, that's where the numbers that Newton adds up, if you take into account that Jerusalem became the, the capital again of Israel after 2,000 years. You add the 49. That takes us to this year, guys. Okay? So okay. thank you, Jim. I just read everything you said. <laughs> well, so we had Jim on the program. Thanks, Jim. Uh, There's a lot of people listening tonight. I emailed everybody out there, so Amen. all my friends Amen. are listening to the show. Amen. Yeah. And, folks, let me let me talk here for a minute because we're going to go and be sure. going into break time, and then you don't want to get started again. Um, folks, uh, if you're listening to this live, that's that's real cool. You, there, but if you go to prophecyhour.com, there, within an hour after this program, there will be a link up there to where you can give this, share this with other people as a podcast. And then uh, uh, probably two hours later, it will appear in YouTube. So those are other ways that you can share this p- program with others, and I challenge you to do so. Now, um, uh, Neil, you need to give your website because we're going to go to break in about 30 seconds or something. Okay. Hey, everybody. I want all of you, everybody out there listening, newtonsriddle.com. Now, I've been sending emails out, and I'm telling you, newtonsriddle.com has gone crazy. I started a week ago. Newtonsriddle.com. That's very easy. I'm a school teacher. Your homework assignment, everybody, go home and send that email to everybody. Okay? So, again, I'm blessed being on the show, and i got a whole lot more to share. Okay. And he, he's a school teacher. He came in under the time that we needed. Anyway, folks, we'll be back in three minutes with more about Newton's Riddle. Dan will be right back. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. 
and our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. Folks, please remember to pray tonight about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas, 
Well, of course the homeless are poor, but we're also talking about the the poor people from around the city that come to us looking for all kinds of things. They come looking for Bibles, miracle prayers, all kinds of things, um, over-the-counter medications for colds and coughs and things like that. They come looking to eat. They come for so many things. So they come to us. So why do so many people come to us for help? Well, love, that's the first answer. And then second, they're treated as family. You know, people come there. There's no – if you go other place where the homeless and poor go, there's sign-in sheets. They want to see IDs and all these things, and there's security guards all around. You know, I don't need a security guard uh, at all because i got a guardian angel looking over me. I already know that. But the point is, is that we aren't like anybody else. People come in and they're treated as family. And so we help them. You know, it's as simple as that. We don't have any set guidelines. People walk in the door and ask for something and we pray about it. And if we have a way to fill the need, we give it to them. If we don't, we pray it in. Well, this is why all the agencies tell their employees about the Father's Little Mission Church. You see, when guidelines stop them from helping, they send people to us. People who have millions of dollars in budgets send people to a place that really has no budget. We are the last hope for so many, and folks, we are responsible to care one for another, as we are our brother's keepers. All donations, no matter what size, does help. And the Father notices all donations that come from where? Your heart. You can donate online or mail a check or money order, and you can find all this information at prophecyhour.com. And we ask that you really pray about a donation tonight because, folks, we're still uh, coming out of the, the holiday season, and donations always go down during the holidays because people have so many expenses. And so pray about a donation tonight because we really do need your help. And call me if you need to. You can ask me about an update on Mercy because of the – Woman's shelter is officially open. We went around it and played a bloodline around the place, put it with anointing oil clear around the property, and went in all the rooms and blew the shofar, and we dedicated it as holy ground. And so that place is does belong to the Father. Well, we now need to get back to our program. We're talking with Neil Russell over his book, Newton's Riddle. Are you still with me, Neil? I'm still there, Pastor. Well, so glad to be back with you. Um, first question, and you can take this any direction that you want, except that I make sure that you cover your vision. But I want to know why you put this in uh, a fiction book form for the people. Why a fiction book? All right, let me let me start where I left it off. And by the way, Pastor and everybody listening, uh, all royalties from my book go to any type of ministry that uh, supports the restoration of the church in Israel, and also helping people out there. And, Pastor Dan, uh, the first royalty check goes right to your ministry. Uh, I didn't know you did that. That's phenomenal. Now, to answer your question, I'm going to start where I left off. Now, everybody, Sir Isaac Newton died in 1727. And, again, the last 30 years of his life, he truly felt that God wanted him to find out when Christ was going to return. Now, no other book, not even the Left Behind books, We'll give, which go to the book of Revelation, will give you what's in Newton's riddle. Now, Newton's riddle, guys, uh, again, it is a spiritual book. It's a fictional book, but the reason it's fictional, and, and the part about Newton is true, okay, is because I want people to open the eyes to open up to what, what I was saying earlier that I read in This Present Darkness. See, everybody, we watch the news and we hear about ISIS. We see these horrible things happening. 
we see the infighting that happens even in our own country. And I want people to know their enemy is not Barack Obama. Their enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans, and it's not, not ISIS. Our enemy is Satan, and Satan has a plan. It's never taught in church. No one hears about it. But Satan, and this is what they've done, they strategize with their demonic princes, and this is all spelled out in the book. And again, no other book's been written since Frank Peretti's book. That in this time, it exposes Satan's plans to do two things, destroy this country, which we're seeing before our eyes, and, and Pastor Dan, you live long enough just like I have. It's just unbelievable what we've seen. And it's all been done subtly, slowly but subtly to the point that we have right now. And here's the big one. He wants Israel destroyed. He wants Israel destroyed. You remember the friendly nation, everybody, that, that uh, Isaac Newton foretold that would come in the future to support Israel? Well, right now, as we know in the news, that support, except we have a new Congress, a new Senate, but that support is dwindling. And we have an enemy, a giant enemy that Satan controls, and that's called Iran. And Iran, as we know, is just months away, if they don't have already, from an atomic bomb. And that atomic bomb has one use, and that one use is Israel, and that's a Newton's riddle. So, uh, again, no other book, and I'm telling you right now, uh, that's why this book is so different than any, pers any person you had on your show. And, yes, I know, Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan Kahn, God gave him revelation after 9-11. But this is revelation, guys, of what's going to happen between now and, I believe, the beginning of next year. And the things and the events in this book, and I can't say for sure they're going to happen exactly the way you're going to read them, but they're going to happen. And so, Pastor Dan, let's go on from there, okay? Okay, let me, let me break in. I want to say something. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Let me say this, folks. Um, he just mentioned Iran and Iran getting an atomic bomb, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. But um, I'm also – I do the news on somebody else's program, so I'm really up on things. They now do absolutely have an intercontinental ballistic missile that will reach will reach inside the United States, just for a record. Now you can go on with your talk. Okay. Now I want all of you to listen to this. Um, the events that happen in the book, and I'm going to bring up one major event. Uh, this is I, I've never had, uh, uh, and this is something that people didn't know up until recently. I'm sharing this now. The only person that knew this was my wife, Cindy. When I was writing uh, Newton's Riddle, the original book back in 2006, uh, it was probably October. I'm thinking back when this happened. I had a vision, just like I'm looking around the room right now, and I've never had an open vision and I haven't had one since. But I saw exactly what I was writing in the book. Now, here's the part, guys, that I, I need you to hear. Uh, see, in the Bible, we need also, it tells you, we need witnesses to back it up. If I just said I had it, that doesn't mean a thing. But since I had that, and since it was recorded, uh, the first person that called me right after I was on Sid Roth was a man named Mark Biltz. And if Mark, you're listening tonight. Mark Biltz told me he just wrote a book, and I said, what's your book about? And he said, well, he went to this NASA website, and he found out there's tetras of these blood-red moons that have happened and during all these events that have happened over time to Israel. But he said the next tetrad would happen, and it would happen in the years 2014 and 15. Well, we all know that Mark Biltz, is, that's coming true. The tetrads are in Newton's Riddle. But the one, guys, this, this, this blows me away, and I want you to hear it, and it's in Chapter 21. When I wrote Chapter 21 back in 2008, I had an earthquake, and God led me 
to, and I didn't know, and I teach geology, that there was an earthquake zone called the New Madrid Fault. I didn't know that the largest earthquake ever hit the continental United States, and it wasn't on the San Andreas Fault. It was in the year 1811 and 12, and it hit the New Madrid Fault, and it changed the course of the Mississippi River. Now, we had an earthquake here, and I was telling the kids today at our school, because we have earthquake drills now, that we had an earthquake on the East Coast. It was a 7, or sorry, it was a 5.8, I believe, and originated in Virginia. And it, and it caused, just like in Newton's Riddle, when you guys read it, because the, the, the storyline took place in Rhode Island, when that earthquake hit, they felt this around the world. We're, guys, I really believe that one of the events that are going to happen is going to be an earthquake. Now, Pastor Dan, I wrote this back in 2006. I wrote that, and you can go back to the book. It was March 20th on the date that I wrote it back in 2006. I put that in the book. Now, when I looked at Mark Biltz's, and I have these right in front of me, it's on my website, and he has a picture of the blood red moons. This March 20th, everybody, and this is, I'm looking at my website right now, and it's very, very vivid. I'm going to show you uh, in a moment, tell you, is the first of Nissan. That's the beginning of the Jewish year. This March 30th, okay, is a, a total eclipse of the sun. Now, we've already had two of the blood red moons, and there's two more that's supposed to happen this year on Passover and also on Sukkoth, which is coming up on the 28th. But we have this coming up right in front of us. Now, I'm going to read you this, guys. It says, in chapter 21 of Newton's Riddle, on March 20th, 2015, on the first day of Nissan on the Jewish calendar, on the exact day of the upcoming total eclipse of the sun, America's heartland is decimated by a 9.4 earthquake along the New Madrid Fault. Now, this is a Newton's Riddle. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but this is what I wrote. I originally wrote this chapter in the fall of 2006. As I sat in my home office trying to visualize what such a devastating disaster this magnitude would look like, God gave me a clear vision of exactly what would take place. I saw it. Now, in, on, out west, they have harder rocks, and when you have an earthquake, you get a lot of shaking going on. But out here with all the sediment, by the way, guys, the Mississippi River covers this fault. All that sediment that's washed down from the center of the country covers this fault. And you can't see it, but the pressure is building up, and it has not been released. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this March. I saw it happen. It could be next March. It could be any time. But I wrote this back in 2006. So it said that God gave me a clear vision exactly what would take place until now my late wife Cindy and later my wife Marianne were the only persons I ever told about this. I immediately left my office, ran out to the kitchen, and told Cindy in graphic detail what I saw. Again, up until now, and I've never had an open vision, seeing or witnessing the future events before they occurred. And I can't say for certain one more time that this horrendous earthquake is going to strike America, Pastor Dan, this March 20th, but I wrote this before John Kilpatrick, and he was just on... Uh, uh, Jim uh, 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 Jim Baker. He was just telling him. Right, I just right. watched it. Sean, Shane Warren saw this too after I saw this. So th this is recorded in Newton's Riddle. This is just one of the events that's going to take place, I believe, between now and uh, again the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. Okay. And there's what and the book ends. And I'm just going to put this footnote because I know time's ticking away. We're reading the news all the time. We know that Satan's plan is to destroy Israel. Why? Because he knows the end of the book. He knows in the book of Zechariah that Jesus is going to return and put his feet on the Mount of Olives. Now, Pastor Dan, have you been to Israel? I'm sure you have. 
No, I actually, have. I haven't been. Go ahead. Well, then, folks, for those of you in the audience, and my pastor, I think, is watching. He's been there. I want to tell you guys right now, the safest place on planet Earth is Israel. And here's the reason why. Because when I was there, I've never felt peace. My wife's in the other room praying for me right now. She can tell you the same thing. As soon as you land in Tel Aviv and you get off the plane and you take that tour, we went from one end to that peace. Even though you're surrounded by your enemies, even though missiles are aimed at Israel, peace. During the Gaza War this year, when those missiles were fired from the Gaza into Israel, and this was in the news, the missiles turned and went into the Mediterranean Sea. I recorded that in Newton's Riddle. That's recorded in Newton's Riddle. And that blew me away. See, angels surround every inch of that property. Yes, there was an attack the other day because uh, Hezbollah, they're ready to go. They're not ready yet. Iran will give the, the – and this is a news reel. It's, it's Psalm 83. If you've never heard of it, I want you all, homework assignment as a teacher, open that up when I'm done. The next war, Israel's going to be attacked from every end, as it's been from 48 and 55 and 67 and 73. And because God has those angels around there, Israel's going to get more land this time, Pastor Dan. Every time they've been attacked, as you know, they've gotten more land, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the next thing they're going to get is a peace treaty. Guys, this next war, which is a game changer, it's a game changer. Uh, A lot of people say America is not mentioned in prophecy. Well, one of the reasons I believe that's going to happen is that this is going to, when the dust settles, this is going to bring about, the, the last seven years. And, I, and Newton's Riddle does not go. And Now, the next book I'm writing does, but this one doesn't. It takes us from now, right now, until I believe with the events that are going to happen this fall. And so, again, I donate all the money to, to – I donate all the money, every penny of that. First time it was out, and now – now, Pastor, I want to tell you one more thing. Guys, Chapter 6, a true story. My pastor, John, told me this. It takes place in Chantilly, Virginia. This took place in 2008. It took place one week before the Super Tuesday elections. Now, you can check it on the Internet, but here's what happened. Uh, Barack Obama, okay, alias uh, Jabbar Harris, is the president of the book. And the reason I did this, I pray for Barack Obama. I held nothing against him. I get our president saved. When he sees the events that take place in Israel, there's no other explanation other than the intervention of God. It changes his heart. So one of the things I wanted Christians to see is that we are not to come against our president. We're to come against all these laws and so on that Satan comes up because he's behind all this. He controls this world. They're just all duped. But I pray for Barack Obama, and I want him saved, and all of us do. Without a doubt, I want every one of them, Boehner, I want all of them saved, but I want their eyes opened up that it's in God we trust. This country, which was founded on God, Satan has done a number. And read Newton's Riddle. You go to the Academy Awards of Hell, and it takes place in the Kennedy Center, and you'll see all the scheming and planning. And what they do is they give each other awards because look at all the trophies they have. They have destroyed our families, guys. I mean, those cell phones that these kids have, you have no idea what these kids are doing with cell phones. I see this in school all the time. A rule in my classroom, no cell phones from the beginning of class to the end. But, guys, again, Newton's Riddle exposes Satan's plan. And the money that comes in from this book, the first royalty check goes right to you, sir, okay, because you do support Israel. Well, of course I do. Um, we just had Zub Parap over on earlier, and uh, 
He's a Messianic Jew in Israel, and Zeb is bringing Jews, fellow Jews, to Yeshua HaMashiach from the Rabbi Kaduri book. But there is a revival going on over there, and of course I support Israel. Let me say something there real quick. Um, you know, one thing, folks, that we really need to keep in mind, that for in Israel to, to fulfill the things that it says in the Word, and in the finale, rely on Yeshua and call out to him and recognize him as God, the the thing that's got to happen is they can't rely on America to protect them. So something has to happen to make America not be Israel's protector as we've been since they became back and became a country. So what you're hearing tonight is really important. Back to you. Yeah, Pastor Dan, I want all of you to listen. Okay, if you go to Matthew 23, that's when Jesus turned to the uh, the leaders of Israel at that time. And this is what Jesus said, and it's the same thing to the leaders today. And, and please pray, because Benjamin Netanyahu is coming over here. And, and by the way, everybody, I want you to hear this. The Israeli elections are the 17th of March. That's the elections, okay? There are forces set up to take him down. And Benjamin Netanyahu, I believe, is the only leader that I really support in this world. And he is standing for God's covenant land. And he's protecting that. He's done that ever since. But now there are forces over there trying to destroy him. And, see, this leads right into Newton's riddle because, yes, Barack Obama, we just heard on the news, sent a whole team of people over there to strategize how to bring down Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, remember, that's the 17th. On the 20th, that's when we have the total eclipse. That's judgment on the nations. Total eclipse represents judgment on the nations. The lunar eclipses have to do with events that take place in Israel. So, again, this is all in Newton's riddle, and it's all going to take place right before our eyes. Uh, I, I, we, we live in such a time as this, but this is what I want to say. Jesus gave the woes to the Pharisees. Remember that? And here's what he said. And this is all the way until his return. You sh- he said, verily, verily, you shall not see me again until you cry out, Baruchatah, B'Shem Adonai. And that means there's going to come a time when there's no one protecting Israel, no country protecting Israel other than the Lord. And they will realize at that time, in Zechariah chapter 12, that they will look upon him who they pierced, and they will mourn because they realize all this time they had the Messiah, and he was there for them. And that's his promise. He's coming back, and he's coming back, and they will all be saved. And that is going to happen, I believe, in our life. I mean, by the way, Pastor Dan, I want to be one of the 144,000 that stay. I want to be here all the way. I want to be on Mount Zion when he comes back. I, that's yeah, what I'm asking Jesus to do that. Uh, I believe that I'll be here for that. I, I really do, um, without getting into any theology. But um, that's a real, you're a real blessing. You've got about three or four minutes uh, for any final thoughts. Yes, I, I do. And I want to tell all of you, um, we're here for such a time as this. There's a, uh, my favorite chapter of the Bible, of the entire Bible, is Psalm 91. So no matter what happens, Pastor Dan, and yes, you guys are doing this. You're, I didn't know your ministry does that, but I want all of you to know something. We are living in God's sweet spot. That means that we are to trust God. You know all the verses. We are to just trust God and have peace, that God's in control of all this, and he'll meet all of our needs no matter what happens. And one thing I found out when my life changed back in 2009 when Cindy died, I gave my life, I gave it all to God. When I did that, I finally found peace, and that's what God wants for all of us to do. 
for the events that are coming up, we're not to worry. First of all, guys, I say, I tell everybody it's going to get really bad, but then it's going to get really good. Okay, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And we, who are alive, guys, we're going to be in heaven forever, forever. I mean, these bodies that we live in, okay, you look at them, and I have to go to the doctors tomorrow. Uh, I, I've been diagnosed with something that uh, you don't want to hear about. But God's <laughs> Word says, by Jesus' stripes, I have been healed, and I've been claiming that. And I want to tell the entire world that, yes, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, and that's the shelter of the Most High, shall abide, shall live in rest. Okay, and that's what we need to be. We need to have that kind of peace, that shalom. That's, that's where the word shalom's come from, and knowing that God is in control. So all of these events that you're going to be hearing about, and again, if you purchase Newton's Riddle, get it on a Kindle. I mean, you can get that tonight. Okay, it's only $9.99. And one more thing, Pastor Dan, I, I got one more thing cool I want you all to go to, another homework assignment. Because I was a uh, – my, my religion is science. I told God, like with childlike faith, if I accept you, you're going to have to show me how you did Genesis 1. Everybody, GenesisBigBang.com explains it using, using Einstein's theory of relativity, how God made everything in six 24-hour periods and, and everybody, 15 billion years. And, it's, and it works. It's perfect science, and it's my, a number one website out there. So I thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Dan, to share okay. all this. Before you run out there, to give us that website again in your exuberance. I didn't understand it. Genesis. Oh, what? everybody listen. Genesis. BigBang.com. I made this for Gerald Schroeder. Now, the hero of my book is Ezra Schroeder. Ezra Schroeder breaks Newton's code. Newton wrote in alchemy. Okay, he broke it in the book, but there's a true journal. It was passed to John Conduit, Newton's nephew, and today that journal is in Jerusalem, okay, the journal that the book is based upon. So that is all true. Everything I told you about that part, but the part that, and again, I had compulsion to write this. I'm Pastor, you know when God compels you to do something, you can't stop. I was compelled. I was writing Newton's Riddle in the morning, the evening. I was writing it on the car. Guys, when you have something from God that you know is from God, and, you, and just like I'm talking right now, you are compelled to do it. That book, as I said, even though the, the premise has a fictional background, the book is prophetic. Yeah, amen. Well, brother, I'm, I'm glad that you, you came and was on with me. And see, I told you that we, we, the program would go wonderfully, and it was a good program. And, and hey, I'll tell you what, brother. We'll do an update here in the future, and, and uh, I really appreciate you being on with me. Um, so I, I'm going to have to say goodbye and shalom to you now. Shalom. All right. Thank goodbye, Booker. All right. We love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, Newton's Journal, it's written in a fiction form, uh, much like the Harbinger was written, but yet it had facts in it. And, and I understand that because, you know, I write things. Actually, when I write about what happens at the Mission Church, I kind of write it in uh, when, as an update as a uh, fictional thing, you know, and I call that the pastor. Instead of talking about myself, I talk about it in another form, and it's just easier to write it. Anyway, point is, is go check the book out. Check out his website. And, hey, he said that. The first royalty check that comes is going to go to the Messiah's branch. That's for the homeless and poor. So that's a good thing. So anyway, 
Check his uh, website out again. That is uh, Newton's. It's newtonsriddle.com. And if you go to my website and look at the archives, there will be a link to his website. So you can get it, share it with others. All right. Now that we must remember, folks, that there really is only one God. He is your father. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is Yeshua HaMashiach. And you know what? He gave his life for our repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did you hear me? Hear me? I said three days and three nights. That was the sign given. When he was asked what sign he was given, he said three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. So any other, you need to concentrate on that. Okay, having said that, yeah, we've got Passover and all that coming up, and we have blood moon, another blood moon coming up, so we really need to be prayed up. That's that's the gifts of all this. We need to be ready if he came back tomorrow or if we walked out there in the street and got hit by a truck, you know, and died. We need to be ready to meet him. But remember, Yeshua is the only way to the Father. Don't let somebody else tell you that Allah is or Allah's the same God, whatever. The only way to the Father is through his Son, and that's Yeshua HaMashiach. Remember, you must always be a blessing to others. How can you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and not be a blessing to others? I don't understand it. So many people say, well, I'm saved, but their attitude doesn't seem like it. You can be a blessing to others just by simply the kindness in your voice. Well, I've got to get out of here. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord our God, Father King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name, that the Father blesses and keeps you, and his face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else can. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be neither. Messiah's Branch at the Mission Church in Wichita, Kansas, that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? 
Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663 or thepowerherbs.com. Don't make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom <laughs> resident herbalist Wendy Wilson and I hope you had a great day. Uh, we're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk Live. Thanks for joining us on American Voice Radio. Uh, Magical engineer Frank and I are ready to roll. We got a great show. Um, we are going to be talking for the first part of the show, the first half hour. We're going to be talking about the breath of life and how we can improve our health just by improving the way we breathe. So we're going to talk about that. And also for the second half of the show, Marez. Um, uh, Miranda Esmond White, she is the founder and creator of Classical Stretch, uh, how we can improve our posture and our health, and um, even our, how we exercise with her technique of stretch. And so she's going to be coming on in a little bit for the second half of the show to uh, tell us about how she came about to, to develop this and um, how it's really become a popular routine. So we're going to be talking with her. And we do have a quack report, but before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and Semper Fi to righteous men and women in uniform, always lifting them up in prayer, God's hand of protection be on them, and I'm praying for righteous leadership to to uh, 
you know, be installed in America and all over the world, you know, we're supposed to seek the Lord and plead for truth and justice according to Isaiah 59. So that's what I'm doing. Hope you'll join me. But I, I pray for righteous men of valor to stand up and uh, get rid of all this nonsense, all this waste, all this uh, commotion, all this drama, all this whatever. So I hope you'll join me and mind the time because it draws near. So without further ado, let's do the quack report. All right. Thanks, Frank. What do we have here in the quack report? Oh, peanut allergies. Uh, apparently about 80% of children seem to be allergic to peanuts and can't tolerate them. Um, according to a new study, they say a probiotic called lactobictalis, uh, ramnosis can actually uh, dilute the response. It's a, it's a, a study that a group of children were given increasing amounts of peanut flour along with the probiotic and uh, over about an 18-month period, and 80% of the kids were able to tolerate the peanuts afterwards. So it's a ram- randomized trial involving about 30 children, and uh, it was conducted by Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne, Australia. So hmm, may find a way to help kids with that. Uh, what else do we have in the crack report? Um, well, you probably heard about this. Uh, Seattle, uh, Washington has decided to fine the residents there for throwing food away in the garbage. Um, it's an attempt to get them to recycle better. Uh, but this new Seattle law will levy a fine on homes that don't properly sort food out of their garbage. Now, we heard about recycling, you know, separate your cans, your plastic, and all that stuff. But this is about food as well. So uh, if you don't sort out your food appropriately, apparently they're going to put a red uh, tag um, as a violation uh, notice on your, your trash can, and you can be fined anywhere up to $50. And uh, so I think it's going to start this summer. Seattle Red. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.